This is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight brought to you by Last Free Nation. Of course, if you're watching live on Twitch, chuck over that cheeky Twitch Prime. It all helps. If you're watching on YouTube, first of all, in your own self-interest, there's other great shows you can watch on this channel. Like if you click on the YouTube channel, there'll be Power Spike with Monty and uh, Dom. There will be obviously the Monty and Wolf show discussing LCK, where, don't worry, I already saw, they do again just explain why T1 is so historically good. Like that is essentially half the show at this point in time. But that's good. We need to chronicle this throughout Look, time. Exactly. We're living yeah, through exactly. history right now, Thor. We'll exactly. talk about it here too. Yes. And then obviously tomorrow, depending on when you're watching this, there'll be the best damn league show. It comes out every Wednesday. So the VOD will be on Thursdays with me and Dom, where we'll go through all the jazz of vitality. Are they good? Are they bad? What's going on with Fnatic? All that great stuff as usual. <laughs> but of course, this show is brought to you in association with Freeze Pipe, our lovely sponsor. Now, if you enjoy smoking cannabis, I do. Then obviously the upside is like the experience, the sensation, even the fact like by the way, one reason is you alter how you feel, how you're thinking about things at the time. The big downside though, specifically on smoking cannabis is obviously the smoke. Like for example, I'm not a cigarette smoker. So I'm not someone who's naturally sort of conditioned towards that. I also quite frankly, don't have it programmed into my brain that the smoke part's the enjoyable part. I just do that. I tolerate it essentially. But I will take some advice for you from the 2003 Hot 100 Billboard chart, number one ranked song, Hey Ya by Outkast, in which they asked the question, which philosophers have been debating, which is, what's cooler than being cool? Now, their answer they proposed was <laughs> ice cold. Now, I would agree with them because historically, actually, people who do smoke cannabis often like to smoke them through bongs so they can get a big hit. But the downside is you get all that hot smoke. So classically, people would sometimes have a special chamber where you could put ice in there or you could even just have water was the old classic one, like a bong, obviously, to filter through and all that jazz. But Freeze Pipe has taken it Another level, because the downside of the ice cubes is, first of all, they're going to melt pretty quickly. Obviously, hot smoke's going through there. And you're going to have to keep going to the ice tray over and over again. You have to wait hours and hours for the ice. To... If you have a freeze pipe, which you can get with our code LFN, 10% off at thefreezepipe.com, then you can basically eliminate all that hot, irritating smoke because you take the food-safe glycerin chamber. All you need to take out is the chamber. You put it into the freezer section for a mere hour. After that hour, it will cool smoke by over 300 degrees, at which point in time, you just get all the upside of smoking cannabis. And as I've <laughs> said in the past, but it's just a great line, you can turn your cannabis smoking experience into a can of bliss smoking experience <laughs> that's good that's not good much, not much, not much. That, that was <laughs> not a, much. that was a that was a hell of a yeah. pitch man i didn't there expect the outcast reference <laughs> coming in <laughs> yeah but thanks a lot to to freeze pipe for sponsoring last free nation um you guys have done a great job and 420 is coming up so hit that code lfn for last free nation at the freezepipe.com and enjoy enjoy um so we we do have a lot to talk about this week with upcoming LCK playoffs, LCS playoffs, obviously a very consequential week in LEC. LPL is currently extremely boring to the degree that Dom said on uh, on Power Spike that he's not even really like planning on streaming a lot of the games the next week because it's There's just proceeding yeah. and there really aren't very many interesting matchups at this point in time. So I think everybody's pretty out on until LPL starts the, the actual playoff push. Um, but 
I guess top esports continuing to fail is is rather hilarious. Here's the thing, though, Monty. One, obviously, we can discuss anything we want to. So one thing I think we should do is I actually here's my joke approach, right? Which is obviously there are certain people we can't have on our show, Monty. Maybe their connection with Riot is too close. Maybe they just don't fuck with me and you on a personal level, or we just don't have any built connection. But we can, as Dom and LS have all taught me, we can just react to their content, therefore profiting <laughs> with our own content, and they essentially start the convo for us. It's like they're on the show, but they just don't get to talk. So basically, like, old someone in inside for the first 20 minutes. That's a fucking straight fire <laughs> reference if you know the deep law, but you don't, so shut the fuck up. So, <laughs> by the way, that might be the most egregious thing of all time, is that it's not even like we were talking about small guests, by the way, guys. It's not like when I would have, like, Kelsey Mulder. I would have, like, Soaz sit for 10 minutes while I do about 15 jokes, <laughs> roasting him, all his team, and then, then, if he, then he gets to talk eventually. So what I thought we'd do is there was actually some interesting community slash other content-related discussions I would like to have with you. I thought some of them were quite sure. fun. Like I saw on the dive, I thought this was a pretty good topic. Fair play to all for coming up with it. They did the debate because it's obviously the main MVP debate in LCS. Who was better, Berserker or Prince? It's a pretty good convo to have, right, Monty? Right, They're both in prime position with the teams in terms of who they are in their teams. They're the star players. They're both incredibly good ADCs. They're both even bloody Korean ADCs. Like it's, <laughs> Everything's checking out. So obviously, this is I think this is quite a good topic because on the one hand, early in the split, it would have been hands down Prince for most people because he looked like a starred, amazing import, winning every game. Now, obviously, though, they've had the roster changes in Cloud9. They've retooled their squad a little bit. And Berserker has the the inertia of last year. Everyone knows how incredible he was in Cloud9 last year. So I actually wanted to get your take on this. Where do you sit on this particular debate? Buddy? Is it a debate for you? I, I think, yeah, I mean, it is. And I think it's a very, it's really quite difficult to choose between them because just, they've both been incredible, as you say. Um, they have, they've actually had very similar statistics overall too. There's virtually no discernible difference statistically between them when you think about i mean berserker or prince rather is a slightly higher economy ad carry but part of that is because impact is like the lowest economy top laner yes. as we know uh within the lcs he takes like the smallest percentage of gold share of any of any top laner in the league and so um i guess hanser has taken slightly less but obviously that's you know <laughs> he uh, impact takes the lowest uh, CS percentage after 15 minutes. So I think when we when we think about Prince and Berserker, a lot of it comes down to you could argue the head to head performance, uh, which Berserker, at least in recent memory in the last week when we saw That's this true. competition. Um, but is that really the right metric to take considering that berserker uh, especially in the draven game got super fed off of like a tower dive that wasn't you know it wasn't like a 1v1 versus prince there were other factors that were getting berserker fed in the head and certainly prince still had a pretty good game on the affilios and they almost came back um cloud nine i would say I think Blabber is probably the best jungler overall in the LCS so he Could has also that be an MVP candidate himself right yep yeah, I think I also yeah. think that it's unquestionable that Zven is at least top three, if not top two supports in the league because support position is kind of weak right now. Core JJ hasn't performed. So it's like Zven and Vulcan, I, I would say, are the one and two in what order they're in. You can debate. So we as good as, you know, Winston was doing with Prince at the start of the season, they switched to Ayla and Ayla has not looked as good since he arrived and got his visa. So I would say that Berserker has more help among the positions that typically get you ahead in the jungle and the support positions. So you take that into consideration as well. 
Um, but like I said, Prince gets uh, a bigger share of the resources in order to carry for the team, which was always Prince's way on Live Sandbox last year. If you guys remember, like yep. famously, he had like the highest percentage of of gold in the entire league of any player because that was the way they won games. It was like him and aiming were, were way up at the top in that in those categories last year. So I think Berserker is playing with a more complete roster and uh Prince has had a harder time because his team especially in the last few weeks has had a bad habit of getting pretty far behind in the early game and then having to make comebacks and a lot of these comebacks are powered by Prince's um you know excellent play uh in team fights right so i think cloud9 is the better team at the moment between them and flyquest but i would say that if if I had to give it to one player, because again, I think that this is a really subjective call because they both had such incredibly good performances, I would probably give it to Prince, even though he's looked weaker recently based on the entire split body of work. And also just the fact that for FlyQuest to win, it feels like Prince has to carry harder. And the team's designed around him carrying, basically. It's not that... They have, you know, a player like Fudge in the top side who's going to take more of those more of those resources and play more carry oriented champions that are going to, you know, take the burden off a little bit. Because as it stands right now, Fudge is up at the very top of like damage for top laners because of the kind of champions that he tends to carry. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I'm, I'm on a similar position. I would pick Prince, but I would say at the outset, I do think actually this is a totally legit debate. I think it is a 1A, 1B scenario. Yeah. You can pick which preference you have. But here's my reasoning why. One, I agree totally stylistically. The difference is there are very dangerous players. I mean, as we just discussed there, like you can argue that Berserker has a fellow MVP candidate on his team. That's because yeah. no one on FlyQuest is getting the MVP aside from Prince. Like, <laughs> that's not even debatable. There's not even a debate within FlyQuest. And so there's one fact that he clearly has more help in that sense. And as you say, that's pretty influential help to have in a region that plays through fucking bot lane forever, by the way. So jungler's pretty good position to have the help from. Meanwhile, who has speaker in any MVP debate? No one. Absolutely no one in the entire world. <laughs> even FlyQuest wouldn't put him in that. So then also I'd say this. If you look stylistically how the two teams play, if people don't know, I mean, you see it in this FlyQuest, but Monty's right. If you go and look at Live Sandbox, they really were like the first Korean team I've ever seen that did the Uzi eye, raise the puppy strap. Yes. Like everything was just get this guy ahead, funnel everything into him. And if we get to the right point in the game where the ADC has the items and has the fights, he wins the fight. So essentially I'm with you. The difference is... Prince has to almost win every game for FlyQuest. Berserker could, but it's somewhat optional. It depends what they want to do I mean, in draft. Depends Blabber what the can carry like. too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Blabber can carry the game too. I mean, it's not that Vikla can't carry, but Vikla's laning phase for the last few weeks has been so tragic that it makes it so that they're pretty much consistently playing from behind and the burden is Think often this. on Prince's shoulders. Even when you talk about other talent, like even though he obviously didn't start the split in the team, Ebenez, people want him like all pro first team, etc. Like, because he's been popping off like a motherfucker. Like, I'm, I'm with you. Vickler started quite promising. He's had a bit of a, some sus weeks, quite frankly. He was one of the first things to start breaking down on this team for me. So I think actually, when you look at the team overall, I have to go with Prince. I think he's, I think he's just, the, he's the only reason FlyQuest is where they are. Like, I think the guy's just a stun. And I'd also say this, I can make arguments for Berserker, but I would, I, I would put it this way. This is how I would frame it to someone debating me. I would just say, well, what has Prince done wrong? 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Some, well, she's done wrong. Kind of cocky laning phases, but again, this is recently it's been with Ayla in the laning phase, who has been, I think, worse. Well, he also than, changed than supports. There's another one, Monty. Yes. <laughs> the other guy kept the same support from last year that he's literally worked with like one on one for ages now. This guy just swapped supports mid split and was like, guess I'll just keep holding. There's also the fact that Sven is a former AD carry player who has been plopped right in the middle of an AD carry as support meta. Um, which I will say he has not looked as good on as you might expect no, from no. that sentence. Uh, you would expect him to completely shit on everybody yeah, in this meta. And that like, hasn't been the case. In fact, you know, some games he's, he's kind of looked questionable on, on certain AD carry supports, which has been surprising. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think for me, Prince is, he, he just barely makes the cut. If you think about all of the factors, how hard he has to carry and the angles that FlyQuest has to win feel like they don't really exist without Prince. I think another interesting thought exercise is what happens if you swap these two players onto each other's teams. And I, I'm not sure that I'm not sure it actually changes much. If I'm going to be honest, it just feels like whoever's on FlyQuest has a harder time performing. So that the 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 end result of having more one games is is more challenging. Like, oh, I'd also I, throw this in as well. One other thing to say is this, because I hate when people do this in MVP votes. MVP is the regular split, and it's the entire regular split. So when people do the recency bias, well, they had a few bad games. It doesn't matter. Okay, I'll counter that. Are you ready for my counter? Did you see the first games of Prince? What are you right. talking about? It's fucking yeah, smurfing the whole league. So, like, that's the even out, guys. Like, you can't just say at the end he did bad. Because that's the one yeah. thing they're doing, which doesn't apply. I don't know if you know this. You probably do. Right? Even if you don't follow the NBA, because, unfortunately, every NBA team plays 82 fucking regular season games, no press can cover every game. So what they tend to do, sadly, is they just go on teams that have the high records. That's the first filter. And then the filter becomes... As, as whack as this sounds, they will do stuff, Monty. Like when the two top teams with the big candidates play each other in a big televised game, whoever wins that game and it outperforms the other star tends to win MVP. They do factors like that because essentially they're trying to find like shorthand for who is probably better. We don't need to do that in LCS. You don't play that many games, guys. We don't have to go. But what about when Cloud9 played FlyQuest in the last game of the split? Irrelevant. Here's my question. How did Prince of Berserker play in every game of the split against every opponent? Because there's another one. It's not the case, by the way, for MVP. This is very key. It's different if you want to say who is the better player in your opinion. If I'm going a better player, I would mainly just look at against elite teams because I want to see how do you do it against the best. For MVP, it's against everyone. So even if you're like, yeah, but you just smoked on shit, that doesn't matter. They're all the teams in the LCS. I always say this, and I'll do a video on it soon because I think I've nailed the angle. The, my problem is this, right? I've always hated the idea MVP even has to be on the best team. So I've got the new way I'm going to phrase it, Monty, but I'm going to do a whole video on it. It's not called MVP of FlyQuest. It's called MVP of the LCS. So logically, it's any player on any team. It's just the best. It's the most valuable player in the whole LCS, not on his team. That, no one ever said that, actually. So I actually think, yeah, if you look at it, I think it's a very good, interesting discussion. I just thought it'd be a cool one to bring up. Yeah, no, I I think it is good just because it this race has been so close and, and in a lot of other leagues, like it just doesn't feel close. Like LCK, it's pretty clearly Caria, and I don't know how you Especially because of the meta angle that as well. Conclusion. Yes. <laughs> I, I really don't know how you come up with any other name that is even in the conversation given the meta shifts, how important he's been to T1, the dominance through the bot lane that we've seen. Um 
yeah, I think I think that was pretty clearly it for me. Like I said, last split in LEC for the winter split. Did they even do an MVP of winter split? I have no idea, actually. Um, um, it was Mickey X. Did he actually win it though? I don't know. I don't know if they I, even I know they did the voting, but I don't think I don't okay. know if they ever like made a big deal out of it or not. Yeah, um, I didn't see any promotion about that, but you know, it only really matters who I think is MVP, Thorin. That's that's the conclusion that oh. I've come to, especially with some of these MVP votes being super crazy. Um, and this this LCS one does feel quite challenging. Uh, does feel quite challenging. As for LPL right now, I think there's. For me, it's probably been Scout. The problem with the LPL one is this. I was having this discussion on my Discord today. The issue is it's sort of the same discussion, Monty. If you want to do like Knight against Scout, who's the best? The problem is it's the same discussion. The problem Knight has is this. They're probably both equally good, but some games, Ruler will carry the game. If you're Knight, Scout, it's the Scout straw or bust. Like, so you have to. So as a result, I think even if they're 1A, 1B, Scout will win it just because you look at who he's working with. It's like, it almost feels like it has to be him, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I think, I think for me, it's, it's scout. And I think the, the other candidate is probably on his team potentially in Tarzan, but I think scout has had just an incredibly consistent performance, huge carry potential on a team that doesn't have a lot to work with. So I, I would say it's scout. Then there was another discussion from a different piece of content, believe oh it or not. Cause you know what? We never give it any positive press. So I'll just say this actually <laughs> comes from, uh, I think it was a Travis Gafford interview. Yes, it was. Where Fudge, are you ready? Because I thought this was a spicy as fuck take. Everyone else was just chill with it. Fudge thinks that Cloud9 will be playing 100 Thieves in the final. That's ridiculous. So he, he's so hating. <laughs> Not only is he in the final already, but he's putting 100 Thieves against himself. Like, listen, the only angle as far as I can tell is like, don't Bjergsen and Doublelift do well historically? You know what? What other angle have you got? Like, what? Am I missing something? Because, quite frankly, even when 100 Thieves got it together, they still look, don't look that great, guys. I don't know what fucking people get so crazy about. I, I think maybe Fudge is forgetting about playoffs impact versus regular season impact. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think so. For what but, I, by the way, what probably I, the best player ever in LCS at phoning in regular split, but turning up in playoffs. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I also think that it, there's there's probably a lot of bias there due to scrims, uh, obviously, and it might it may have been a couple of weeks since FlyQuest and Cloud9 have even played each other in scrims because they were playing each other in this past week of competition, right? Uh, and it was a very you know it was it was close between these two teams. So when you look at Hundred Thieves, from my from my information, there has been more buzz around scrims from 100 Thieves than there have been for FlyQuest recently. Like FlyQuest has been struggling a little bit, which we've seen on stage. But that's not really, again, scrims are, scrims are not indicative necessarily of stage performance. And so when we think about the way that each of these teams are winning, right? Uh, first off, you know, FlyQuest did tie for 14 and four, right? And 100 Thieves has had this late surge, did win all of their tiebreakers, but it's been coming in a really formulaic fashion. And I went on a rant <laughs> on Power Spike about this, which is to say that basically what 100 Thieves has turned into is 2020 TSM. They have, they have gone back inside the chrysalis 
they <laughs> and are are kind of regressing back in time to the style that eventually barely won them that summer split in 2020 and then resulted in the 06 world's performance. And Dom and I had different takes about this because Dom likes this style because it's effective in NA. My right. argument is that it is extremely basic and will get picked apart at international competition in exactly the same way that we saw uh, TSM completely fall on their face in the 06 World Championship groups run. Because what they're doing is they put Tenacity on Scion or Gragas top. They group up 5v5. They put Bjergsen on Lissandra or Annie. Uh, and just have a hard engagement laner. Then Think they of that sentence them. alone, guys. Bjergsen's at the point in his career. Where he's like a fucking, <laughs> he's crown when he was bad. They're putting him on fucking <laughs> Lissandra and Annie. Bro, it's only because Malzahn isn't in the meta. He's not got a third champion. <laughs> Come on, this is brutal. He, play, he, played an R, he played an RE game. But like, why is Annie even up in these? Like, I have so many questions. Though. I have so many it. questions. Why is Annie even available in these drafts? It's like perma banned in Korea because it's yep. like, it's it's idiot proof. Basically. That's the point so of it. Why yeah. is, why why is Annie even available? Um, Closer has been doing well on the early game junglers. Um, so like him getting Viego, him getting, you know, Lee Sin. These have been factors. I mean, teams have tried to ban him out a little bit. Um, but, you know, the other thing is, is like these these and it opens up a lot of room for double lift to carry. So double lift is now taking, you know, a lot of the resources that Bjergsen's on lower economy mid laners closers playing the Wukong. So basically they have a massive front line, which is let's take the CLG game. It's like Scion, Wukong, Lissandra, Nautilus and double lift uh, on, on, uh, on Kaisa. So when you have these, they basically just group CC everybody and double lift auto attacks and plays out the team fight. And this sounds, you know, simple front to back, honest league of legends. The problem is, is that it's what's so frustrating about watching this is that it works in North America because teams are inevitably drawn like a moth to the flame of engaging these compositions. If you look at the CLG tiebreaker that 100 Thieves was playing, CLG had a substantial early game advantage. In fact, 100 Thieves is is digging themselves into pretty big holes, like 3,000 gold holes in the early game. And then they'll just group as five at a Herald. And instead of CLG just playing a split push with their Yone, Poom walks into five of them and then the, dies. And then they CLG loses all the map pressure that they have. 100 Thieves gets the Herald for free and CLG, they're, 100 Thieves able to dig themselves out of the hole. A good team will just eliminate, will just watch them take the Herald. Dokla takes one or two turrets as a result of split pushing while they're doing this. You actually have a gold advantage that you've gained from giving them the Herald instead of dying stupidly and not being able to take the objectives, right? So the problem is that good teams, if if 100 Thieves place them internationally, if they fall into these, these, these uh, early game deficits, they will get destroyed by T1's pick compositions. They'll never have a chance to play the game. They will never be able to group against teams like T1 and KT that are good at pick comps. Against teams like Gen G that are masters of the split push, Gen G's not gonna, I say this, Gen G sometimes does int into you. So take this with a great assault. You know, Gen G's not a team that's gonna int into you. Like Gen G usually is very good at giving up objectives in order to accomplish 
uh, wave manipulation and split pushing. And there are many ways to beat this. So it's really infuriating because it feels like they kicked out the coach. They kicked out Case. And Nuke Duck is now there to just rubber stamp whatever Bjergsen and Doublelift want to do, which is that they're taking a time machine to 2020 to play this old style that was successful for them domestically, not successful for them internationally, because it's the only thing they appear to know how to do. I mean, it's and, all they've done their whole careers, mate. This is every Doublelift Bjergsen team's like this. It, it's it's just frustrating because you yeah. see teams get these leads and then throw them away, even though 100 Thieves is playing incredibly suboptimally by ignoring side lanes, by all grouping up needlessly on an objective. But when the other team just walks into you for free, you, I guess you just win. You know, if you have bad positioning and you, they, they're, they get onto your the enemy team 80 carry for free, I guess you just win. You know, when Jojo Pian struggles to engage team fights and walks into you for free, I guess you just win. And these are fucking ugly wins, man. They're 100 Thieves with these deficits and then closing it out in 45 minutes. Like, they are horrible games of League of Legends. But they win. So can I fault them for doing the strat that eventually wins because they know that as long as they group up enough times that the other team will make a mistake? No, but it is really shitty to watch. <laughs> and I hate it. <laughs> and by the way, I do actually think one, like I think actually like Nuke Duck has had a positive impact, mate. Because the the best I think I've seen the Nuke Duck impact is in the fucking rookies. Like, dude, people like Tenacity were having way more questionable, like lane phase, fucking games. Like, they actually look like they've improved. Like, the, the younger players look like they're more on point, which is why, oh, by the way, as an aside, just call him, like, Cass, basically. Because if you say it, oh. it sounds like you're saying Kays, unfortunately. I think people uh, oh, get confused. Yeah. Yeah, because basically, when he, like, I'm assuming because he's Belgian, it's the same as Dutch. In Dutch, what you do is when it's a double letter, it just makes a harder letter. You don't, like, draw it out. So just you say, like, it. Cass, basically. Like, Thank that's, you. Just, to be, just so people, just people don't think you mean Kays. A A Y Y S yes. with two different people. Yeah, yeah, just just in case it confused people. Now I would assume though that Cass, as a coach, remember he was more like assistant coach material in the past. The problem with being a head coach is if you're the head coach of a team with Bjergsen and Doublelift. Spoiler, you aren't the head coach. You're the assistant coach of Bjergsen and Doublelift. That's the way their teams work. And I have heard that story from so many teammates of Bjergsen. It is ridiculous at this point in time. I could believe though that Nukeduk has some cash here and can be more of a coach. So I would imagine that Tenacity and Busio were just like slaves to the Doublelift Bjergsen <laughs> tyrannical dictatorship before. Whereas now. I imagine they're somewhat more like the coach actually puts people in the positions they're supposed to be in and sets the team up. So the problem I have is this, Monty. This is where I actually think I've got people dead to rights because you're all buying at the top, you idiots. You're buying at the top. They, they've had a whole split. They started really bad, looking really fucking dodgy. Even these players, Doublelift and Bjergsen, were playing bad. Doublelift's played himself into some sort of form. Still not even the best ADC. Bjergsen, quite frankly, hasn't played himself into form. They've just found a way to band-aid his champion pool. And then the rest of the young players are sort of getting half-decent at playing this one style, like you said. I mean, basically done... the best player on this team. Yeah, he's a good player. They've done, the, they've done the misfits move from last year. They've just found the very simple formula that you repeat that can get you wins. Here's the problem with that, though, Monty. This is why 
to bring it back to the original point. Sorry, Fudge. One, I don't even know if you're going to be in the final brawl, but I'll give you that. For now, I'd put you as one of the likely teams to be there. You're definitely not playing 100 Thieves in that final, homie, because I'm telling you right now, I actually think that this is a team where even some of their wins, mate, they're lucky these were BO1s. Like, in BO5 series, and without Bjergsen currently plays, and the one-dimensional playing style, I don't think they can make the final, mate. Like, you can hit on FlyQuest all you want. FlyQuest should be a much better team overall. Dude, I even think Evil Genius has a solid outside chance to be better than 100 Thieves. Like, I don't think this is... 100 Thieves isn't making the final, mate. Luckily, by the way, because as you said before, you don't want to see this team at MSI. If you're even a massive Doublelift and Bjergsen fan, just hope they get the last world spot. Yeah. That's all you want. Because that way, if they get the last world spot, you don't have to feel sad if they do badly and you just get to watch your favourite player have one more world. You don't want to see him at MSI, guys. This team I, I against mean, LNG, EDG, JDG, fucking J go anyone from LCK. A KT roster would murk this team. They would murk the 3-0 I'm telling you, they clap them completely. There'd be no I, chance. The, any of those teams, because especially Doublelift and Busio's laning phase has been really suspect uh, at times and like that's where some of the deficits come from. And relying on a player to deal most of your team's damage who falls behind in the laning phase works in NA. It it, it does not work internationally. I mean, like, it's it the joke, Monty. These teams. You said it earlier. That's the whole reason why even when Liv Sandbox with Prince had a really amazing player, we all thought there's no chance they can win LCK though. Because <laughs> of the, of all, it's why I always thought those teams when upset used to be the best player on Schalke, but people were very unfair to him. It's like, bro, he's the ADC. You can't just 1v9 the first 15 minutes of the game. It's not fucking top player or mid. Like, there are certain roles. ADC is one where it has to come online. That's why that phrasing is always used. You have to get your items. You have to get your help from the jungle. Like, as you say, Monty, like, if, if double lift is your win condition, you're not winning anything internationally. Like, he's never going to get a chance to play the game. You're just going to be down in lane, and then that's it. It's over. There's not like, oh, but we yeah, come back I, because I, this, like, inexperienced NA top laner fed if you get that. There is no inexperienced NA top laner on the LCK team, you idiot. Well, it's it's also, it's also, yeah, exactly. And it's also that when you think about some of these bot lane matchups, I mean, Karia and Gumayuchi don't lose bot lane. Like, they just don't. Even when they start to lose, like we saw in game one of D-plus versus T1 this last week, T1 will just sh put all their resources into making sure Gooba and Karia win. Like, Faker's in that lane all the time. Owner's in that lane all the time. They are diving bot turret all the time. They will turn around any kind of early deficit. I mean, uh, Deft and Kellen in game two, when they're playing the, the Ezreal and Karma, did actually manage to get a, an edge temporarily. Uh, but then it was completely shut down by by roams from jungle and mid. So I think it's really difficult to see which bot lane that double lift and Busio would be able to complete compete with internationally who might be going to this event. Like maybe LNG's bot lane. Also, this is how dark it's gotten. <laughs> Even if you somehow got to MSI, like with the, how the meta is now, wouldn't you just have to, again, have Bjergsen on? Like, Bjergsen basically has become who he from season six. He's going to be like Orion Sol every game or some shit like that. Like, it's just well, garbage. <laughs> I, I, the other issue with Aurelian Sol, Thorin, is that in order to use, to, in order to lane, shepherd so, yeah. Aurelian Sol through the laning phase, you kind of have to have a winning bot lane to distract it's like the same shit that we saw with Cassidy. like if you don't have push in the bot side uh you're gonna have some really really big problems because you're just gonna get dove in mid lane you know if you're if you're playing if you're a really in soul you're playing into like i don't know grogus lee sin you're gonna have a fucking horrible time uh if there's not if the jungler isn't distracted elsewhere on the map because they know 
exactly how to shut you down and it's super easy to dive you um you know by the way i, I almost i even have a spicy take but i won't really commit to it because here's the problem this is where i will actually give people credit for the double if bjorks and angle here's where the angle goes monty if I took nameplates off and there was no pressure involved in playoffs, to make a statement, I'd say that even CLG beats them at best of five. But that's the problem, Monty. The difference is of all the teams that they could play in the playoffs, CLG or Golden Guardian, more CLG even, they will be the ones that look at the names. Like they are the ones that I could trust to just blow it in the playoffs because it's double lifting Bjergs and you know, like. But like I say, once you get beyond CLG, mate. Why would why should 100 Thieves, like, look, even if they beat one of these teams, let's say they beat, like, okay, let's say they could beat EG. Why would they beat FlyQuest? And it's not even certain they beat EG. Like, I just think it's a bit of a reach. As you say, it must be off scrims. It must be off some, like, scrim logic or, like, maybe 100 Thieves just mercs Cloud9 specifically harder than the other teams or something. Because I don't get it aside from that. Unless it's just banter, I don't get the angle, mate. To me... I think you just ride in recency bias. And crucially, like I said, I think you buy it at the top. I'm selling at the top, you idiots. This is where I'm out on these. Well, I mean, I think you you wonder what happens if the Annie and Lissandra get banned. And then Bjergsen, like, especially when they have to play FlyQuest, because uh, the argument is probably then Ari becomes a very contested pick. But Vikla will play Ari. Vikla, Vikla's best champion of last year was arguably Ari on his, his run. Also, with when you say that term, contested, if you saw that last Ari game from Bjergsen, don't contest. You can have it. That's you can I'm fucking saying. have it, mate. <laughs> you can so, sell that champion. Don't worry about it. We're cool. We're cool, mate. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think maybe you, uh, you know, you just start banning out some some Bjergsen champs. That puts a lot more pressure on closer to get stuff done. I, I, I'm pretty confident that Prince will have a good time in any of the matchups down there um, because the laning phase has been an issue for under these. I think with flight, that is probably the one angle I'll give us the X fight. It is closer. Like if closer can get some like leasing games, yep. so, yeah, he can do it. He could do. He could do some good shit. Sure, he can win yep. some games. Yeah. The question is, do you do you ban out the like who do you ban out? Because I think it's either Bjergsen or closer um, that you take out. Um, but at the same time, with FlyQuest, the the issue that they may have is that their early game has not been as strong either. Um, which means that 100 Thieves won't necessarily be in the same deficits that they have been against certain other teams. But FlyQuest also is a much better team than most of these other teams when it comes to late game macro. Like 100 Thieves is so transparent right now in what they in what they are doing that I think it's relatively easy to avoid, especially with a week of prep and film review for a single opponent. Also, I'll just throw um, it out there as well. Like, we can't lose here at Last Free Nation because even if somehow FlyQuest blows it, Monty, there's a whole angle I'm already seeing about the fact that their logos are leaf and they got smoked and they got cooled <laughs> off. You know, we can't, we can't, we can't lose. If they get three zeroed, three zero, 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 whatever, you get what I'm doing, see what I mean? It's just easy, too easy, it's too easy. That's funny. LFN, um, 10% off at thefreezepipe.com. Exactly. <laughs> so I I think I think uh, I think FlyQuest should have a pretty comfortable win here. It, super weeks are also always weird because you're think about think about FlyQuest 100 Thieves super weeks. The thing about 100 Thieves style is that it works into any opponent because you're not playing the opponent. You're just playing your own comfort picks and you're playing the same kind of composition in different iterations every game. So in a, when you're playing multiple different opponents, that style tends to work quite well. Where 
it can fall apart is if you have to play one opponent who is going to target your strategies or understand that play style and do specific, have more flexibility in their own play style to counter it and beat it. And I think FlyQuest does. So FlyQuest also plays a huge number of different champions comparative to the relatively small effective champion pools that you see from 100 Thieves right now. And they should be able to use that versatility with enough prep to dismantle them. One would hope. For the sake of NA, we have to hope, guys, because 100 Thieves using this style to plow through the bracket and achieve a, a result of being in the finals and going to MSI will be disastrous for LCS at MSI. This is It will be terrible if 100 Thieves went. I also do think, like I alluded to, the real sleeper in the playoffs is EG. Mate. If EG has the of real course. lineup and no Orioma bullshit, like that's that, just look at the People players, mate. Sick. That lineup of players, if you look at the mixture of players, even looks stylistically like a team that should be able to win late game team fights in a playoff series. Like it looks, it looks tailor made to do well in playoffs, in my opinion. Yeah, I and also we we just know that we know that. Um, you know, this team has been suffering from illness, not being at the studio. They, the, the GM has publicly said lack of practice has affected their their condition. It's really clear that no, no one mentions it because no one wants to very well. But let's be real. I mean, it probably even if it's just five percent, probably all the scandal with the Danny stuff affected people too. I mean, oh, that's even if it's just the elephant in the room that no one can address, or if you're someone like well, George, team, or I'm sure you've been thinking about it, you know. Yeah, first off, his former teammates are definitely going to be affected by that at at some level. It, at the very least, has been a distraction because it's hanging over the team like a cloud. Some days wondering what the fuck he walked into. Um, You you know, by the way, that given the vanity of the people involved, that the the upper management who is accused has already had conversations. They've called the meeting with the team and be like, guys, it wasn't our fault, you know? And they've been trying to do damage control, so that's taken away from the player's time. 100% that has happened. Um, So I do do think it probably weighs on them somewhat heavily. Uh, Danny has started streaming. I've noticed. So he has come up with, they, they have actually started that process. Sorry, he had him. like a hundred fucking people watching, but okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, he had, he had 5,000 the other day, but it was a, oh, clearly a host. It, it was a host. I don't know who hosted him, but I, I checked out the channel and there were like 10 people in there talking. Was this when he was playing LOL? Cause when I watched, he was yes. playing some other game, like some fucking nonsense, single player game or something. Oh no, it was like a multiplayer, an MMO RPG yeah. maybe or something he's playing. But it was, the, the, it was, there was only two other, there, there were only two options is either somebody hosted him because there's a massive spike okay. in his viewership from uh, a, a few hundred into like 5,000 uh, or he was being view botted by EG, which by the way, happens all the time on Twitch guys. Uh, you could Twitch itself sells services to view bot on Twitch, <laughs> but you can always tell from basically, you know, the number of people that are actively chatting as to the, the real active viewership. Um, so yeah, he, he got a host for sure. Uh, or was being, or or EG might have been paying to view about him. One of the one of the two. I think he got hosted. But in any case, um, yeah, it was. It, we'll see if he can actually pick up momentum as a streamer. But it still obviously doesn't justify keeping him on board a team um, under a, a streaming contract. I mean, all I'll say is this on that topic. We don't have to talk about much. I'll just say this. Look, if indeed. 
this is his deal as like a payback for what was done to him. Like, well, we can't all go, go back in a time machine and undo what was done to him. So I'm glad on some level he gets some money and he gets some health care and he gets to have a yeah, small career. That's all good. My problem is just this. And I'll just say it now because I want it on the record. My problem is just this. Now Danny himself and his family have been inherently dishonest. Well, guess what? One, that removes some of my sympathy. And two, that means you're less credible as a witness. Like, that was one thing I found, by the way. I didn't go into a huge thing on it. That was one thing with the whole Ash Goyle right up there. I thought it was mad sus that people just went along with. You know where he just included that line where he just inferred, which we can't even know if it's true, he's not a credible source himself. You know where he just inferred, like, someone, he tried to imply it was the family, but he said, like, someone close to Danny had, like, approved this message. Who gives a shit? They approved the message that Danny did. <laughs> they approved the message Evil Genius has done. They've approved objective lies. So at that point yeah. in time, like, this is why, by the way, as a quick one-second run, this is why being a journalist is a craft and a profession, because it's really tricky. Like, for example, you can be interviewing someone who is the main victim, and they might not be telling you the truth, and you have to corroborate what they're saying, even against, by the way. This is something I do, and Richard Lewis does that. You even have to take primary sources and contrast against each other, and if you find they disagree, you have to omit some of that information, or yeah. phrase it like some certain people speculate. Well, that's why it's so tough to think you got the deal because in that scenario i'm sorry i did get the vibe the community and that particular person thought but i've got all the story from them it's like no you think you have you have what they want you to know is the story that's there's a big difference anyway yeah to bring it all yeah. back and danny, it danny and his but he's still around are... in the background like you say he's still still somewhat in people's consciousness if you need g yeah uh, yeah for sure and also it just as a side and also note that about... tweet Did you... here's the thing monty everyone's forgotten that tweet wasn't it Berserker that did the tweet where it was like, no Danny, no win when they yeah. played EG? Because here's the thing, I'm almost, I'm almost certain he doesn't mean it in that way, guys, but it just looks like the most ruthless tweet of all time, doesn't it? It looks it's like great. he was just, I can tell though, it's just like an innocent Korean, like stepping into some shit. Like, <laughs> but it's a fire tweet, I can't like, so I was like, and also, what's funny, um, Twitch actually made a, an update uh, to the, the the viewer tab, by the way, recently, okay. Thorne. I don't know if you've noticed this. So if you go into, you, it used to be that in the chat, if you click on the community tab, it would show you like all of the logged in viewers, right? Um, okay. that, are, that are watching yeah, the yeah. channel. So to cover up the view botting, because the problem with view botting was that it would you you see like ten thousand people and then you'd see the logged in viewers because most people are logged into Twitch when they yeah, view yeah. and so you would you would assume like I don't know seventy five eighty percent of people are logged in right so if you saw ten thousand viewers and you could literally just look through and like do a rough calculation of the number of viewers watching the stream and if there there would be like. 500 logged in viewers you're like this is bullshit this is being viewed right so what they do now thorin is it just says viewers and it says some active some oh. active viewers and chatters in this community okay. so it gives you a sampling but it won't give you the complete list of of oh. logged in viewers anymore so now it's very it's you have to tell by chat speed basically what the actual you know likely number of of logged in viewers is the reason is that's sad by the way so is because just as a piece of a side trivia slash drama bit that used to be a hilarious way that a bunch of things have happened in history so for example we know this back in the day when he'd already had on gamers blacklisted you could just look on twitch and reginald and amazing and all the tsm people would just be on their accounts watching the show live and it's like yeah. bro you know like you know i can just click that tab and see your name there like literally and if i click the account it's tsm reginald it's like actually you're 
about same thing if I mean there was a mad one in we had in CSGO where when that guy three kips Philip was having that beef with us he would like watch the stream on his account and then be like secretly filming parts in case Richard removed the site <laughs> bloody hell whatever so, so I, it's actually sad that feature's gone it was good for that purpose you could sort of see he was being a creep <laughs> yep uh, and now it it actually just I think it's people it, the list is mostly people who have been actively chatting recently, right. which I think still gives you some level of you indication. But but Twitch is like definitely up to some sh- shenanigans, right? Um, they they really just don't want people to know when the view botting has happened. It, it it happens frequently, guys. It happens frequently. Oh, of course, absolutely. Um. So yes, this is all to circle back to EG and get away from like Twitch meta platform drama um i think eg has been suffering as a result of all of these factors uh and i do think that absent the illnesses that have kept them out of the studio which by the way i'm pretty sure is covid guys but i don't understand why we can't just say they have covid like it's very strange you know it's it's only lcs has this problem dude because here's the thing Without saying, I'm clever with how I do this. There are certain other regions, Monty, just never stopped thinking that was the main thing and the most important. So what they've done is they've been consistent, though. Those other regions have those very strict standards that they still maintain. They still shame everyone if you don't do it. What I don't get about LCS, and it happened with Worlds, but it's continued on into LCS, the regular split, is America itself is in such a different state, depending on where you are. But they try to sort of like go between the two positions of like either it's all about covid or it isn't all about so which is it so you know what i mean like because i don't get why are people still remote but at the same time like is it a thing anymore for you like they they are they really haven't because i feel like the problem riot always has had and people know this is the global office sort of was also the american office so i'm sure they've got like a weird two hats to wear at the same time their scenario yeah, I, I think... I, I still I think don't know what the vibe on that is. Like, does that mean if people are still ill, they will play the playoffs remote as well? You know what I mean? I, I, that's the question, right? If somebody has COVID in North Carolina for the LCS finals, do they do it remote and not have question. players on stage? And here's like, the problem, on very serious question. This is why I said earlier, you have to decide your consistent position. Because imagine this, Monty, if the logic goes, well, if it had been a normal split, yeah, of course you'd play from home. Oh, but we've got this big uh, venue rented out, so you have to come in live. Then what were we ever doing? What were we ever doing going remote? That can't, the fact it can't be, but the stadium's really sick, bro. That was never why we were remote. It wasn't the LCS Studios ain't cool enough. Because that's the point. You've got you to really decide what is the state of the world and what are our safety precautions. And once you have them, by the way, follow them. By the way, as a little aside, I'll throw this in there because it's the perfect timing. If you're a League of Legends fan, you might not know this. Richard Lewis revealed in his write-up about EG a detail that was CSGO related. A lot of people skipped over it. This was never discussed in all those threads, Monty. How are Americans going to go mad over this COVID issue and treat it extremely seriously. And and if you know some of the scenarios past years, shame people who've ever been ill with it and didn't reference it. How are you going to do all that and then hear the story that Richard Lewis reported that when Evil Genius's CSGO team was boot camping in Serbia, they not only didn't follow the protocols that were set out by their org, they had them retroactively sign a document pretending they'd followed it when they'd already all gotten sick with COVID in that foreign country. Like, why that was never an issue? Bearing in mind, the same people in the org making those decisions are the ones who control the league division was wild to me. That's actually in some ways a bigger scandal if you think that's a really massive topic. That's why I say you've got to sort of figure out before where you standed on this issue. If you're someone who thinks, you know, that was something from a few years ago and we figured that out now, then it's not a big deal. Don't worry about this section. But if you're one of the people who treats it really seriously, that's that would be a red flag for me. That's pretty alarming. 
I think I think too that by not saying that it's COVID, it makes people think it it might be something worse. Oh, right, like you know, or what are the conditions? It's just very weird that they would be so reluctant to announce what's going on publicly because it just it adds a lot of fuel to the fire of speculation. And like I obviously I it seems like Jojo Pian's okay and that's fine, but they they really like weirdly danced around this topic and I don't I don't really understand why. You can just say he has COVID and then he's not gonna play. I mean, I don't think it's a bad policy that if players have transmissible diseases and are ill, that they there is an option to play remotely. You know what, Monty? This might blow your mind, but here's why I would agree with you. Because here's what I think, Monty. Just a little warrant I'll bleed my own opinion in. I think the most logical quarantine scenario, Monty, is to quarantine ill people. I know that makes me really weird, but <laughs> I agree. That would be the most logical. If someone actually had an illness that they could pass on to someone, maybe have them not go near people. <laughs> Nailed it. I don't know why it took us this many years to figure that out, but you know. Spoiler, that's what we were doing in all of human history when this was an approach. Well, when it was a concept, obviously, last few centuries. Yeah. yeah. Well, regardless, I think I think probably EG will be in a better situation. Yeah. Having, like I, say, I think they're just like probably over, you know, if it was COVID, which it probably was. Yeah. Uh, then they should have had enough time. They should actually be able to get some better, de more decent practice this week. The the Danny stuff has at least settled down for the time being, and unless Riot surprise announces the result of an investigation, which they're surely going to hold that till after the split, even if they do it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. They're not going to do it yeah. and cause drama uh, until after finals. I would assume because for some uh, reason that's how they treat the teams they like. When it's Monty or some of fucking anywhere. <laughs> Oh, fuck those teams. Echo Fox, they bang them out. They the end of the split for me. Okay. <laughs> they did. They did wait. I because I, I think they were secretly hoping that I would get relegated and that they wouldn't oh, have right. to deal with it. But then when right, I didn't get sense. relegated, that's yes. when that's when the hammer came down. Right. They were hoping it was going to resolve itself, but it didn't. So they had to resolve it in whatever way they saw fit. And obviously, I've tied those two things together because who was playing on that team? Freeze. <laughs> too good, Anna. Too good, boys. <laughs> Evil Genius's coach, in it. <laughs> By the way, the, speaking of people who like ice skating uphill, you know that blade line. So Freeze is coaching EG in 2023, and his brother's coaching Fnatic. <laughs> and his brother was coaching Bruh. Immortals last year. Bruh. Oh no, wait, isn't this? Wait, am I wrong? No, he isn't. Yeah, that, yeah, they, they, both, they just both picked the hardest gig in the region, basically. <laughs> um. Yeah, he's the head coach for yeah, Fnatic. There you currently. go. He was. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, after, being, after being head coach for Immortals last year. Put it this way. I, I think I've told yeah, the story. Cursed, on, I think I told it on a crackdown somewhere. But if you watch our TikTok, the last radiation one, coming soon, I'll tell a funny story about the nightshade-shade guy who's like the Fnatic coach who's freezes. Bro. I'll tell you a very interesting story there, but I won't blow it here. I'll, I'll save it for TikTok. <laughs> That'll be a bonus piece of material for people. <laughs> I've got a banger um, anecdote about meeting him, basically. So uh, I think I think basically I think basically what we can say about LCS playoffs is that C9 and FlyQuest are overwhelmingly likely to win. EG should be the other competitive team. Golden Guardians has kind of fallen down a little bit. I think the top uh, 100 these versus CLG. I actually want to watch that best of five because I think CLG. I think CLG with the way they play, had they played better in the tiebreaker and converted on their leads, I think they may have learned a very valuable lesson about what not to do against under thieves. Um, so if that matchup happens again, I think there's a, a good chance that CLG can take that maybe like three, two or something. 
but it really is a question of C9, FlyQuest, and EG. Probably these are the teams that are going to be contending for the finals. Um, and it'll just depend on whether FlyQuest and EG can get back into form because C9, at least right now, looks like the best team in the LCS. LEC. Stay there away. was news, as usual, that was dropped during this show, which is that Abadage is finally coming in for VTO on Excel. This is something that we've been discussing since the third week of the last uh, round robin yep. stage of LEC, where it was like, why don't you put in Abadage now? But I suppose this is apparently the time where Abadage, it feels like this could have been done a lot earlier but I think is ultimately the right call given VTS performance. By the way, since you brought it up there, I'll just very briefly address this. Fuck whoever made the terminology for how LEC split is divided up. So the round robin is called the season. You call your whole fucking year the season, you idiot. Your circuit is called the season. But already, they call that. Then the middle part, which people keep calling playoffs, is groups. But the problem is around Robin is a group. And then the other part with just the top four is playoffs. Now, the reason this is mental, Monty, is one, the season one is a nightmare. Groups is a nightmare because it would apply to both anyway. And then thirdly, it means that people keep getting wrong who was in the playoffs. So, like, you couldn't design a worse approach. What it should have been called for real is just winter round Robin, winter groups, Winter playoffs. That would be like that would have been the more logical terminology. Because I agree, mate. That one kills me when like people don't know what you refer to with the first phase, do they? Like it, it, it's everyone's saying the same shit. So it's it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. right, here's the here's the problem with this move, though, Monty. I don't hate it as a move. Like Nethio still didn't even look that good this split. The problem I have is this: I think people are pinning too many hopes on it. If they think it's going to be some big turnaround, I don't think it's going to matter much, mate. I don't think Abidag is going to make this team a big team. No, and I mean, maybe being back in Europe has refreshed his form, but it, he felt pretty lackluster by the end of his North American run. Uh, he certainly wasn't the same mid laner that was able to power 100 Thieves to their first title, and he had fallen off pretty significantly. The thing about VTO, though, is like they just weren't he he never looked as good on this roster obviously as he did in the past and whether that's you know a meta or a champion pool issue because as you mentioned earlier with 100 thieves in your comparison to misfits from last year they found a style that really worked for them and it was like i mean we know what it was it was broken ass yumi you know attached to vto's akali zooming around the map and coming back from massive deficits by creating picks and even though you know, we saw at least some of VTO's like signature picks this past week. You know, he, he busted out the Syndra and, uh, we, you know, we got to see some of these champions that we associate with him. He just hasn't had the same kind of carry potential and somebody has to carry on this roster. I think that's what's so disappointing about Excel is that Odo Omne's like back on Scion duty now. He's playing those weak side top laners. And that's great because in the theory of constructing this roster, you think Patrick's been doing pretty well and VTO, he's going to be the hard carry. But absent that, it just feels like who is the carry of this roster? Because Patrick has been more disappointing than you than usual. VTO has been more disappointing than usual. Zerxe, I hate to say it, like XL should have kept Marcoon. Like, I don't understand what happened there because Marcoon is is having a way better split than than Xerxes is and Xerxes just doesn't look comfortable in this meta 
They don't trust him as well, mate. Like, if he goes in, they just, like, do that shit. They, they fuck Xerxes. Are you ready for the straight fire biblical reference here? They fuck Xerxes like King David fucked whatever her name was. Wasn't her name, like, Bathsheba? No, no, the Queen of Sheba's <laughs> Solomon. It was Bath, Bathsheba was the woman that yeah. David cheated with. And what he did was he had her husband killed. It was, like, Ari Ariah the Hittite or something he was called. And what they did was they he just yeah. told the men, take him into battle, and then when everyone, like, charges, he charges and you just stand back. And then because yeah. that happens, you're just like, that's what they do to Cersei in these fights, mate. It's so mental. Like, I can see, it. this is what I think sad. I've always been a critic of his style. I thought his style was a bit overrated. And there's a reason why he tends to be at his best on like mid-table teams where he, his style he can play to it. There's a reason why he's been in the top teams. They have been somewhat capped. And I think it's his style, right? But the problem I have in this team is I actually get the vibe he has tried really hard, mate. Look, it hasn't worked. It's been, maybe it was bad GMing. It's a terrible mismatch of styles. Obviously, he has no fucking solos that he can put ahead in the game. They don't know how to play around top lane anyway and why would you waste your time or do I'm there the best band-aid is going to be making gold like you say Scion and Arge tanks normal shit the problem I have with the Vethio angle is this this guy was so good for three straight splits, guys. It wasn't even just one split. People are acting like he was just a fluke, right? One, he has to be playing worse. The eye test was just too good in the past. But I do get the vibe, along with the conversation we had about Prince before, I get the vibe that maybe there is something where it's like he is like the mid lane equivalent of like the raise the puppy players. Like it feels like the the main thing in the future, everyone who recruits Vethio, because by the way, if everyone thinks like, well, that's him done, get him out. Dude, if I was any team outside the top five, I would still be trying to get this guy. This is where you buy low, mate. But if you get Vethio, learn the lesson that no one else was able to until we saw this XL lineup. The two players you need to put all your thought into are the jungler and the support. If you get the right jungler and the support who can get Vethio his leads in lane, get him through lane, that's when you can see all those amazing team fight carries that we had last year. So my problem is, I think in any future, I would still recruit him in LEC, like I say. I think there's plenty of teams could use this guy. But I think he feels like a player where he's not like self-sufficient, is he? You've got to give him some like setup around him. He's not just going to smoke on his own. I, I also think that the best iteration of Excel that you could dream of is basically to be a a worse version of Gen G. So bear with me here on this comparison. So if we look at the way that they're playing, they clearly prefer to have Xerxes on tank slash you know crowd control engaged junglers. It's exactly what Peanut is doing right now over in LCK. It, and they're you know both of these are on the post you know Maokai nerf patch. Right. Uh, Europe's on 13.4 and LCK's on 13.5. But if you think about the way that Genji plays, it's peanut on these. It's like Sejuani Maokai, which is exactly, I think, what you want Xerxes on. Oh. Um, and you want to you want to play that role for the team to open up other options. You want to have kind of a weaker side top laner, though arguably Doran is maybe not quite as weak side as Odo Omne. Like Odo Omne is like a very weak side player. Right. Um but the thing that works about Genji that's not working with Excel right now is that they play very heavily through bottom lanes and then into the split push to power up Chovy and Pays. And the problem with Excel is that it's very hard to do the style that Genji does when Patrick is literally the worst AD carry statistically in lane phase. He is, has the highest deficit at 10 minutes of golden experience of any ADC and LEC. You flip that, over with Pays and LCK, and Pays is a player who gets a ton of attention in the bot side. Pays actually has, he, he has the highest number of kills in the LCK total right now, over 200, which is about a third 
of Genji's total kills just on one player. He's got a third of them. And it's the high, I believe it's the highest ever for a rookie player in the LCK. Okay. So he's at, you know, he's at a, uh, like a stellar season, but the team has really emphasized getting him ahead and pushing him um, in these, in these laning phases. And then Chovy also, the other, the other big factor here is that the way that Genji plays is that we've discussed, they get a lot of advantages on the map. Um, they take a lot of farm. They, they manipulate the, they manipulate the waves quite well, right? Um, they, they are able to extract the maximum amount of gold. And if you compare Gen G is taking like 54% of the total jungle creeps in the game. Excel Esports is second worst in LEC at 46.8%. And they're below 50% on the, the number of lane minions that they're getting as well. So they're very inefficient in farming. So the question is like, how do you even become the worst version of Gen G? Because I think their champion pools and player styles lend themselves to a Genji style, but they have a terrible late game. Like their late game is appalling, yep. and that's where oh, Genji's really strength is. It's their late game is so fucking bad. It's even the worst part about the team because when you looked at all those players, you would have thought that would be the strength, right? That's also the other area, right? Spoiler: every XL game they have a chance in goes a million fucking hours long. But then even then, they don't look that great at the end, and that's even something I will say I had heard. I asked around a few people when XL was first having these problems. Problems. And one thing someone behind the scenes told me was they actually think Cersei's late game macro isn't very good. <laughs> that's all we were relying on. That's all we were relying on. Yeah, so, that's true. I, my hope's gone for I that mean, team, I'm afraid. I think I think one of the the interesting you know the thing that though, kills me as well though Monty in every game though there'll still be like a flash where most of the players will show you like it's like it's like they're in the coma but they're they're actually like awake yeah. inside their brain they're still in there they're still in there but then you can never get it for the full game you never get the full game do you I mean their late game shot calling is just so terrible oh. and like uh, you know unfortunately limit didn't help that problem either what they need is a very strong shot calling voice on this roster and perhaps abadage is that guy like i don't know if individually he's going to be better but the biggest issue is this late game shot calling um and you know quietly actually for all the for all the talk about patrick season and yes he has been doing quite badly in the laning phase he is actually incredibly efficient and when it comes to the percent of damage that he does after 15 minutes, he's actually third in the league, despite okay. the fact that he gets the second lowest minion share after 15 minutes. So his efficiency is really good, despite the fact that he's losing a lot of these lanes. And in total deep damage per minute, he's leading the league. So I don't even know if this is a Patrick problem, honestly. Like, it feels as though, I mean, we know that Targamas was causing issues within the team. Um, that's why they removed him. So he's had a pretty poor pick of supports and then on top of that even though he is losing lane he is actually converting resources at a better rate than most of his teammates but it really is just this disastrous like mid and late game shot calling that they have that i think is is probably the single biggest issue that prevents them from from getting wins like they are really bad at macro also, just because just to be a dick, I'll do this. I saw people were trying to say in Twitch chat, like, they should try bringing back Nemesis. It's like, bro, Nemesis couldn't even get along with LS, someone he agrees with on 98% of all concepts and topics. He couldn't even get along with that guy. 
So I'm going to go ahead and say, no, I wouldn't recruit. I wouldn't throw Nemesis into a bad team. That feels like throwing a massive container of petrol on a fire. Like, how's that going <laughs> to fix it? He couldn't get along on one of the best teams ever, Fnatic, for fuck's sake. He had primo players like Reckless, Hillisag, like, he couldn't get along with these guys. Give me a break. I think I'll say no. I'm going to veto that one. He's not coming back. And also, shall I tell you the other reason why Nemesis isn't ever coming back to LEC? Because he'd actually have to live up to all the fucking shit talk and all that stuff. <laughs> And all those things where you all go, nobody looks incredible on like zero ping in Korea on the games you watch on his stream. He'd actually have to do it in the game. He'd actually have to be that player that he thinks he's in solo queue. And spoiler, like he ain't nice, so he's not going to even try. And also you can't cheat like nice good, so whatever. It's all good. <laughs> I just, I have no idea like what Nice is doing, but I just oh, I, could, I, I could summarize it in a minute. Basically, it's boring, mate. It's not even actually that good a drama. The problem is this, right? Essentially, he's realized that if you're involved with drama with people like LS and Caden, like, it keeps your name out there. And, all, oh, yeah, and spoiler, yeah. if no one knows this, the reason why they say it, like, even though it doesn't quite apply in the modern day, the reason why they say, like, all PR is good PR is because, for example, if you provide a service, I'm sorry, even if you think everyone's laughing at this guy, more people are aware of him, and there will definitely be some more and will go, what, what the hell? I don't think Ellis is a good guy. And then he'll sign up. Like, I bet he gets more lessons from this. Here's the brief summary, basically. As far as I can tell, Monty, he, in the past, has lied repeatedly about being Challenger, and he's definitely tried to imply it was on the NA server. I believe when people looked it up, they've only found he was once, like, he duo-boosted an account into, like, Challenger on the LAN server, which isn't the local area network. It's obviously the Latin American one or whatever, right? So it's implied he's trying to, like, blur the lines of was he a Challenger player? And instead of what I told them to do, which is, that's it. You no, you understand you've won the case. You just make that the only point is he lied about being Challenger. He can't go back in a time machine, so he can't fix that. You've got him banked rights all day long, but these idiots, Monty, had to give this guy a chance so instead, what they said is, like, it's not that he lied that he's challenging, it's that he's not good enough to be at any high rank. So he went to Korea, and he had an account, and he was shit in the bed for ages. He was terrible. He was perma-stock in law of life, and he was shit. He was terrible. He kept switching champions. But then what happened was, like all people who want to just get a rank and not prove you're good, he just switched to a fresh account and, and looked into a little streak and got to Masters. So now, because you idiots made it about, is he, like, in any sense good, and he'll never hit a rank, you didn't even say the context, you idiots. What you should have said is you'll never hit a rank on this account on like an account that's been around with x amount of games x amount of nodes. you didn't do that so because of that he's sort of got you now where he can be like i am high i am in masters on solo queue in korea that's why essentially everyone's having this big debate because he thinks he's won and proved them wrong and then ls and the rest of them now are realizing shit why did we even give him an out we had him banged to rights we should have just gone back to that so as and also the last part which is probably the most annoying part is that guy's tactic, by the way, is to pretend it was never about him lying. He pretends people have implied like he knows nothing about the game. He can never be good. And so it also blurs the lines with one of the most annoying parts, which is I don't give a, a fuck if someone's bad and they charge a lot of money for lessons. Someone bad could be a good teacher to someone worse than them. That's a okay, separate course, topic. Yeah. yeah. So the problem is that gets conflated. So you get people who come in and they're like, yeah, but he tries it. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's rewind all the way. The one factor is this. Did he lie about being ranked challenger? Because if you lied, by the way, that's literally false advertising. You have defrauded people who, on the basis of your lie, paid you for a service. You've got the per if that's true, you've got the person banked right there. So I'll just bring it all back to that. But whatever. It's just again, like I say, these people all know that the more drama and the more you reply to each other, it never ends, and you all get a hit story. <laughs> so they, they also all know what they're doing. This is the outrage economy for sure. <laughs> that's fair. I, I just find it odd because it would seem that you know if if he had videos of him successfully coaching people 
and testimonials from people that his coaching was effective, that would be enough to make him a good coach, right? That's like, why where they keep getting him as well, stand, well, dude. That's why they have to stay. Why does he have to stand on this like challenger accomplishment? That's not necessary. And he's not there anyway. He's masters, like I said. But secondly, the other thing well, is whatever. as well, that that's also why they all keep going as hard at him though, because they do think he's a fraud, Monty. Like people looked it up and apparently loads of the accounts that he was coaching on stream that improved magically just stopped playing after they've been coached by him. Like brother this is you know what i mean like but here's the real issue i'll resolve it all by bringing it back to this maybe this maybe, is maybe his, wait, wait 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 maybe his coaching is that you shouldn't play league of legends and he's actually just breaking the 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 cycle the karmic wheel of people being reincarnated into league of legends right he's really into the buddhist aspect where the cycle of suffering which is playing league of legends feeling like you're obligated to queue up get into the next game get flamed by your teammates he's actually just breaking them out and into the real world and actual enlightenment i mean my joke is this right? <laughs> i actually think if you look at it that the most annoying thing about all of this is exactly the fact that it's like it's not about whether he was ever good at the game or not. It's about did he lie, et cetera, right? So what I would say is this. In a way, he's actually the best possible coach for the kind of people taking lessons from him because they're people who don't care that the most expert people in the league have told you this guy isn't good. So they're people who I think, he ready? I think inadvertently he's nailed his market. Because if you think about what I've just said, Monty, he went to Korea and tried on a large sample size account and proved he isn't good enough. So what he did instead was realize... It's not about being good enough. It's about the perception of being good enough. Are you ready? That's all his fans want. The kind of person who wants a lesson from Nice does want to just know, how do I fake being better than I am so I can have the rank for my friends? Well, you know what? <laughs> Follow Nice's method. Keep trying new accounts. <laughs> Keep just hoping you get a nice little lucky streak. One trick, by the way, when he was doing badly, he kept shooting between all the meta champions. Then he just one trick to Trindamir and took someone else's build and did it like loads of games in a row. So one trick, try and keep switching accounts, look into a nice little streak, get the rank, stop playing and just start talking shit to your friends. He's nailed it. He's actually doing exactly what the people who pay for the lessons would want. Because the stupidest part of all is, I'll bring it back to what I was saying at the beginning. People like LS and Cadrill and Dom, they're right in this sense, Monty, that on Twitter and among people like us who are very hardcore about League, you've won the perception battle. You've shown this guy's a bit of an idiot and he's lied. Here's where you have lost the perception battle. The kind of person who took lessons from this guy isn't us. It's a fucking random casual guy. And to that idiot, if anything, this attention has probably brought in more customers, I'd imagine. And they're all idiots anyway, so they can... Oh. In fact, like I even said, even not cynically, if you are a fucking bomb, you'd be like, how did he get a chance? That'd make you interested. Like, masters, whatever. So the whole thing's just a storm and a teacup. It's not that big a deal. If he lied, he lied. That's the bigger issue to me. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, any any other LEC topics you want to talk about besides, you know, XL attempting to get good enough in order to make it? I mean, this next week is going to be very exciting when it comes to actual uh, it, it, every team is within two games of each other. So almost all the matches are going to be consequential for who gets eliminated and who doesn't. Any teams caught your eye or disappointed you? I think one of the ones that I would say is. Right, if you look at the way the league is right now, the most disappointing team to me still is Koi. Because the sure. problem is they can beat G2 and then just go and immediately lose to fucking Fnatic, who isn't good. And the reason that sucks is because if Koi was actually a legit team, if they were like consistently good, the LEC would be pretty strong at the top. But since they're not, 
if you actually look at the league, realistically, the actual fourth best team in LEC probably is between BDS and Astralis. But if that's the fourth best team, guys, how good is this league? You know what I mean? It's pretty top heavy at that point in time, isn't it? Because I feel like if you're G2 and Vitality, you can lose games. There's a lot of parity in the middle of the league, but it doesn't matter. You're going to be in the next phase. You're going to win those games. Like, but it's the, it's when I'm looking for the third, fourth teams. Like, that's where Europe just looks a bit whack at the moment. Because the problem is, Koi's got all that talent locked up in their team as well. Like, you know what I mean? Like, these are like all <laughs> pro level players. They should be better than this. I think. I think the issue with Koi is that they are trying to lean very hard into some early game compositions. I said this on Power Spike. But if you look at that Fnatic game, you know, Koi has been struggling in the early parts of the game. And, and many of the games that they've won have sure. been in comebacks, right? Like yep. mid to late game comebacks. And so when I see them struggling in the laning phase and then I have to watch a game where they're playing Twisted Fate, Callista and Lee Sin, where they're kind of like all inning on trying to prop up, especially the bot lane. Like the, the philosophy yep. here has to be that I mean, they're we are behind every to, game, so they have to. Yeah, we're going to we're going to head into the bot lane and try and do some damage and get comp and Trimby really far ahead. Well, if that doesn't happen, then you don't even have a mechanism to come back. And in a way, I would rather have them. I, I'm not sure if Malrung is capable of gracefully losing an early game. Yeah, I don't think he, he I think I think maybe Malrung, as much as I love him, either doesn't work in this meta or doesn't work in this roster of players which is weird because we're seeing you know four of the same five players that we saw on a very successful team last year but Malrong has been really struggling and you I would say that if anything Koi should be potentially taking a page out of 100 Thieves playbook and trying to play these like group up front to back scaling team fight compositions rather than going all in on, on some of these early games. And the other side of that is that, yes, I am aware that they did, in fact, G beat G2 running the Twisted Fate and Lee Sin, but it just feels so much more volatile and not to what Koi has been successful with this year on the whole. No, it's why I actually also find that team a bit of a bummer. Because when you look at the strengths of the team, the dream is this, Monty, that your mid laner is up in CS and plays like a strong mage. He just does that historically. Your bot lanes are slightly ahead or ahead and you just are a position where they're going to be in the team fights. And then you hope your top lane, when it was Oduamni, just plays a tank or a bruiser and that's it. Then Malran can do all the shenanigans he wants and that, that bridges all these different aspects. As you're saying, the problem they have right now is one, what are we doing with Twisted Fate on fucking Larson? Like, that's not really the pick, is it? And secondly, that bot lane isn't ahead most of these games. Thirdly, the Shigendra angle. Look, at least he's had a few better games. He's had some solo kills and stuff. Yeah. But it still clearly doesn't work. It's a disconnected lane from the team. And as a result, Malrang just ends up looking like an idiot. He just looks like a headless chicken running around with bad items, you know? I think the the way you have to view Malrong as a player is that he's a bridge that gets you to a late game state faster at the cost of himself, right? Yes. He, he's a lane accelerator. Uh, and the thing is, is that if he, if he doesn't have a lane to accelerate, then what's the point of Malrong would be, would be my question. Like is, is the twisted fate in Lissandra are these the lanes that are going to be accelerated? Like, I, I don't think so. So I would say that you you really want him to sacrifice himself to get some scaling picks uh, online faster would be the way that I would approach this situation. 
Um, but it's also, as we discussed on previous shows, potentially an issue with the fact that because most junglers have been incentivized to gank more this year, that Malrong isn't as special or isn't as unique as he was previously. And, and he's struggling with that kind of identity crisis that he's going that he's going through. Um, so I don't know. I think I think Malrong just might be the wrong player for this team at, in this meta at this point in time. And that's that's unfortunate because I don't know if there's really a way to change Malrong's style. Did you think the marquee matchup, the G2 Vitality one, was a banger? It was pretty good, right? I thought it was actually a pretty, pretty good game. pretty fun game, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Because here's the I, thing. I, that's one, that's one Monty, where I feel like people are being way too reductive, acting like Vitality could have never won. Like, dude, they definitely could. They had moments where, like, I, I, thought, I thought that was a very competitive game, mate. Yeah, it, w- it was very competitive. I will... Draft was Talk a bit a odd little, for maybe. <laughs> yeah, Vitality's draft was a little weird. I mean, we we talked about this previously, but my problem with Aurelian Soul is that you know if you're going to pick Zeri and Lulu with it, then I think you have to pick a tanky top laner. I would prefer to see a more aggressive, pushing early game bot lane than Zeri and Lulu. But Zeri and Lulu at least has pretty big all-in potential once you hit level six in the laning phase and you can start to play more aggressively at that point in time. So it's about shepherding the Aurelian soul in. Also, you're playing into Cassiopeia, so it's not like there's a huge like dive or kill threat uh, against the Aurelian soul. So it does make it easier to get it through the laning phase. My real issue is that why would you play Zeri and Aurelian soul with a Camille in top lane? That felt like, that, like that, trying to have your cake and eat it, yeah. <laughs> Like, what does this composition actually do? It can't for one split. You know, Zeri's not amazing at sieging turrets, and neither is Aurelian Soul. You can get caught out, especially by a Vi. If you walk up and Vi point and click ults you, um, you know, you can you can actually just get caught when you're sieging a turret. Um, I guess maybe you have some disengage from the Gragas and, and the Lulu, which makes it easier, but it's certainly not like an ideal siege composition. And so even accelerating the Camille. You can apply pressure in the side lane, but you can't necessarily easily ap- apply pressure without getting engaged on in in a different lane, right? And then the other issue is that in order to deal consistent damage in the late game on Aurelian Soul, you need a tank line. Like you, you have to have a, some form of tank line. And so when Bo is building a Night Harvester jungle Gragas and you have a Camille, how does Perks actually set up to deal damage at any point in time? I think that's the main issue here is that, yeah, you can disengage, but you're just putting people out of, you know, if you use Gragas Barrel to disengage or you're kiting, you can't deal a lot of damage as Aurelian Soul. So you need, I think you need much more um, what we saw the next day when we saw Vitality play Astralis, when Astralis is playing Scion, Annie, Viego, Aurelian Soul with Averis. Like this makes a lot more sense in terms of front-to-back team fighting, and they did well. Now, in spite of that, in spite of having, like, a questionable composition, they did get some edges for Camille, and I do think that, you know, Bo struggled. They could have done so much more with that Camille, though, couldn't they? Come on, man. They could have done more with Camille. If this was LPL, they would have just won the game off that. They they clearly had some communication issues. Like Bo, uh, there was one dragon fight in particular where Bo decided to engage when they had priority on dragon. They were literally doing the dragon, and if I tell you, just waited for G2 to be forced to engage on them. They could have kited and probably turned it around, but Bo just like inted into the fight and then they lost the fight. Like he didn't he didn't need to engage with that composition. Like he fundamentally didn't understand what his job was within that comp. 
and they had mixed calls around how to finish an objective. And that really hurt them because I feel like with this composition, because it is more difficult to operate because of the way they drafted, there's very low margin for error. And that made that made the game somewhat problematic. But even then, Vitality was at touching points from winning it at certain points in time. But it yes. did feel like this draft wasn't it. I mean, even <laughs> towards the end it. of the game, like it was just like ballsy plays from G2 to just close the game quickly. Like there's a, you could tell if you were Vitality, like Upset was just waiting for that one fucking angle to clean up a couple of people in a fight and then get the right target. And then you'd have a chance, you know? Yeah. And also, I mean, I think the draft from G2 conversely was, was really quite good. They had a ton of oh, ability, you know, to, to, to counter engage with Cassiopeia ult, or, you know, they had all the healing coming in from, from Mickey X on the Soraka. Yike had a great game. So I, it, not to take away from G2, because they're obviously still a very good team. And I think Vitality did struggle this week. But some oh. of those issues, I think, were, were drafting issues and also Bo just being pretty, pretty underwhelming. Because the one problem I have is this. I sort of agree with you, but this is one area where I think there is actually a stylistic mistake that they're doing in Vitality at the moment. You know, when I said in the past episode, like what makes me so hyped about this team is the idea you could play through all three lanes. Obviously, A didn't mean simultaneously. And B, when I say play through all three lanes, we'd very rarely be playing through top and bot at the same time. Because the problem with these drafts is it's just perks like, cool, now I've got upset. I can just play the supportive mid. It's like, yeah, but your top lane wants to play a carry. How are we going to have like the fucking bot lane and the top? But it's only one person. You're literally, that's like that fucking old torture they used to have in Rome where they put you between four horses and they fly in four uh, different directions and, and just talk <laughs> and just rip you apart completely. Like that's like what you're doing to this guy. Because the point is like we're saying up this game here, he had a Camille that was ahead, right? If that's the LPL, just fucking bang that lane all day long. Let's turn that into a win. But oh, wait, upsets the best player on your team. So it's like, you're making it too hard. Like in this scenario, you've got to streamline it a bit more. I think you're trying to get too cute with these drafts. I, I also just don't see why perks needs to be on Aurelian Soul. Like, oh. slap this motherfucker. Like, I preferred it. I preferred the game that they played against Astralis when he was on the Lissandra. Like, if if Photon's been having some very good games, why not just yep. enable Photon and, and Upset? Put perks on the Gragas. Why can't perks play Gragas? Why not? Yeah. I, I think that would be a, a pretty excellent call for them at this point in time. Um, that way you actually have strong 2v2 synergy. Like he should be faker and on this roster and they should be moving around the map with him trying to get the dives down in bottom lane. Like Bo likes to play aggressively. Bo and Perks have had good synergy on the whole this year. So it's time just to, to, to enable bot and Photon we've seen can do very well in these carry matchups and isolation. So just like unleash him, let him go. And have that game plan and i think vitality strengths are really quite clear even in the astralis game that they lost they didn't stop fighting and they were actually playing really well from a macro sense from behind perks was they were cross mapping for bounty objectives right they were making choices such as we're going to give up this baron because we can take a dragon get the bounty gold we can take turrets get the bounty gold and that's a better way for us to come back into this game uh, Perks had a really good Lissandra teleport to try and deal with a situation when they were behind and make the Hail Mary play, which was successful. And they were they were starting to pull themselves back into this match, despite really having no business being there with the terrible early game that they had. So you see that Vitality still, they're retaining 
the perks shot calling, which is such a valuable aspect of any perks team. But they need to figure out, I think, a more solid identity than what they've been showing because they've been ping ponging around different strategies. And these drafts that they're playing lack a real cohesive identity. No, exactly. They're trying to 500 IQ these things. It's like, you don't have to with your team. You just do a simple draft, mate. Like right. you're saying, played cynically. If you look at the, the 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 draft that they played against SK Gaming, it it tends to make a lot more sense, right? Jax, Vi, uh, uh, Cassiopeia, Lucian, Nami, right? Like, you you understand what you're getting here. It's a composition that can has, you know, strong CC, can set up for the the lower range Lucian relatively effectively, high DPS, can team fight very well, but also has split pushing capability. And I would say it's a more reliable form of siege because Cassiopeia can zone people off of turrets and so can Nami so that Lucian can get some some dashes in and some damage there onto a tower. So it it I think is a better team fighting composition, also a better composition at executing a 4-1 split push. All right, here's my little rant, Monty. A patented summoning insight Thorin rant. Are you ready? So you know how people who are fans of Reckless irrationally, it's not, it's never his fault no matter what. Even if he objectively in the game failed, it would be something like, yeah, but why didn't a teammate do this? Or why did they even put him on that champion? There's always a reason it's never his fault no matter what. It's the other way around, I've learned with upset, dude. It's always his fault no matter what. Dude, this is how you know people irrationally, I'm going to make that clear, irrationally hate upset because people are acting like Vitality was already a flash in the pan and it's over. Guys, you do know they've only played six games with upset. Here's how it went. The first three, he didn't die and they smurfed the whole league. Week one, remember, he didn't even play a whole split. G2 played with this lineup the entire split last split and all playoffs and now they're here. Secondly, this week, oh, what a bad week, Monty. They went one and two. But then you look at the context. First game, they murked SK Gaming, who you motherfuckers are all going to tell me is like the real second best team in the world. Well, which is it? Are they this LEC rather? If SK is the real second best team in the league, well, then I've got a pretty good feather for the cap of Vitality, haven't I? They just beat them. And that's the same <laughs> roster in SK that played the last split. But then let's go on, shall we? So then Vitality lost to G2. One, we just pointed out that was a competitive game. Two, G2 are far and away the best team, according to everyone who doesn't rate Vitality. So that one doesn't even fucking count. Then there's one last game, Monty. And are you ready? In theory, historically, you could all dunk on me now. They lost to Astralis. The same Astralis who beat G2 last week. Guys, you are broken in your brain if you are looking at these results and going, they're just bad and trash and they should change players and they're not even good. By what metric aren't they good? And also, didn't everyone tell me Mad Lions were really good last split? They're like one of the worst teams in the whole league right now. And Koi's dog shit. The league is in shambles. Vitality's one of the brightest spots in the league. They're just having some minor teething problems on week two of, of by the way, the second week that their star upset has played this year. Give them a fucking break. Mate, like, I'll start hating with you in the groups if they're shit and they're losing best of threes. This is just haterism, guys. Effectively, they have lost one game that could look bad to Astralis, and Astralis is on a heat of this split and actually, like, overperforming like motherfuckers so far. I don't know what there is to hate on. Like, as we're talking about, these things are mad fixable, Monty. Stylistically, we'd change how you play around the top lane when he's ahead. Draft-wise, you can see what you could obviously do. Like, I think this, this is where, again, I'll use the same analogy. If you're selling now you're morons like i'm buying more this is where if this was the stock market i'm buying more vitality stock as you guys sell it it goes down i'm buying more more bags of that shit homie 
Well, it's also strength of schedule, right? Their next week is playing BDS, Heretics, and Koi, which are all very winnable games for them. They should win all those games. I mean, BDS has been pretty good, but at the same time, I think if if we're honest about where BDS is, I don't think that they are a better team than Vitality. Well, I'll give you and an they angle. Have been, they've, been, they've been struggling in the in the late game for sure. Like this is where Vitality has been shining, I awesome. think, has been in the late game scenarios. And also the real problem if you BDS is your best player's crowdy. I've got a player that's better than him. He's called upset. By the way, there's the other thing people don't mention who hit on upset. You know, Upset's only played when he played SK Gaming. That was his fourth official game in 2023. Who was he going against? Oh, the guy that you all told me was the best ADC in Europe. And then he played what against him? Lucian Nami, that bot lane that all the teams have problems with. Shut the fuck up. They won that game. <laughs> they beat him. The guy you all told me is the best ADC. By the way, he probably was the best ADC last split. That's a fair. It's a fair take. Execute was very good on SK Gaming. So yeah. I don't know what the haterism is like. At this point in time, look... I, I'll do it with record. I mean, it's I have good reasons to it, but like, just, just see just him, fanatic, mate. It's just, just him. It's just, it's just yeah. fanatic fans that are salty that upset isn't is. uh, carrying them to wins anymore. That's it what is. it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's just salt. It's just salt, boys. Um, but I, I still have a lot of hope and vitality. And honestly, like, this team doesn't... The only purpose... And you said it there as well. Actually, this was one of the few weeks where I saw Bo have a legit, real bad game. Like, I actually did think that one of his games was fucking shit, mate. Yep. And it really doesn't matter because as long as the purpose of this first part of, in the new format and people are overreacting to this is just to not get bottom two. Yes. Like you literally just have to be in the top 80%. That is the entire purpose of this because it doesn't really matter. Like, okay, you might get a harder group, which might make it like more difficult to make top four. But at the end of the day, you're heading into best of three double elimination. And like, that's pretty consistently going to churn out the top two yep. teams. And I think Vitality, they had a, a, you know, a strong round robin last time. And then we saw them kind of get exposed in that best of three segments of of the format. And I just don't think we're going to see that from Vitality this time. Plus, they could lose all their games and they would still likely make top eight because they already have four wins. It's incredibly hard to get eliminated in this in this format with four wins. Incredibly hard. Oh, they're okay. And they're not gonna they're not gonna lose three games next week. Like, come, come on. on. Like <laughs> you know, I think I think worst case scenario, this team is five and four. At the end of this next week, they'll get a comfortable spot. Then then we'll get to see what they can do in best of fives. All right, what now? What should we switch to now? Do you, I want I want to get your take on on the run that's happened with uh with T1? Because I, oh, okay. I know I mentioned this on Monty and Wolf. So let's let's talk a little bit about T1. You mean the one I was dominant. referring to where it was like the splits and how many like regular season yeah. games in one right? Because it's pretty nuts, isn't it? Uh, it's pretty crazy. So the, the thing I brought up with Wolf was that right now, this iteration of the roster, so this group of five players has now completed a run since the start of last year. So we have a, a year and a half of data. People always forget, just to clarify, remember, it was Kana and not Zeus in 2021. Because people always yes. get that wrong. So it's only 2022 yep. for this five-man lap. Yes. Zeus played at the very start of 2021 some games and then was replaced entirely yes. for most of spring and summer by Kana. Um, so technically, Zeus wasn't a rookie last year because he had played like 10 or 15, 10 games, 10 best of threes, maybe. Um, I don't know the exact number. Um, 
and I'm too lazy to look it up. So there you go. But anyway, this iteration of players with this this the, this five man roster was 18 and 0 in best of threes in spring yep. last year. Then they were 15 and three in summer. Even when Jim had seven, that dominant split, yep, yeah, 15 and three. And then they were 17 and one uh, this time. So that's 50 and four, an over 90 percent win rate in best of threes. And even at their peak, like even even when people will go back, well, what about the back-to-back world titles, 2015, 2016, oh, yeah. T1? Yeah. You have to remember, they were losing Exactly. They were actually, it, it, yeah. it was, Rocks Tigers was the one who was number were, one in the standings yep. in the regular season for most of those splits. It's just T1 turned it up for playoffs and, and international tournaments. Yes. Like the Tigers were extremely consistent yep. in their regular season performance. They just weren't able to convert that into meaningful playoff wins um, and international wins. So my question to you is this, like what is, is there an equivalent run in regular season esports? Because we talked about rogues, you know, regular season performances, sure, that was a but this one. is, this is crazy to have a 90% domestic win rate in best of threes over a year and a half period. And the thing is, it doesn't look like it's going to stop. They could easily 17 and one in summer too. Like it's very difficult to see the the flaws within the team at this current point in time. No, because the key thing is this Monty. It's the fact that as you say, it's three splits and in a row, that's what no yes. one else can fuck with. As you say, like, look, within the context of LEC, Rogue won a lot of BO1s, but it was a BO1 format. Like at the end of the day, that's actually not as impressive. Like, like as you said there, the number of series lost, so they won 50 series and lost four. That is impossible. Like in that scenario, by the way, <laughs> the reason you should, the reason that number of losses for real should be at least 10. is just because you're human. You know what I mean? You wake up and have a bad game. You fuck up a draft every now and then you, by the way, you think even the best drafter in the world every now and then in draft has a brain fart and forgets a champion. And then he, it goes lower in the rotation than he intended. Like that essentially means even when you badly draft, someone's playing badly, you're under the weather, the opposing team has a great game, but you still win the majority of the time. Almost 90% of the time you still win that that is inconceivable and you're doing it out of like at worst the second best region at worst debatably the best <laughs> actually if you look at that exact era well, this isn't it, going it, to 2019 guys this is 2022 and 2023 like that's that is that is unbelievable like as you say if we're looking only at regular season i have to say it this could be the best league of legends team of all time yeah i i mean that's that's the direction that i'm headed because yeah. also even though they didn't pull out they only pulled out one win out of four important finals they were at last year. They did make it to both domestic finals and both international finals. And for, you know, I, we would be having a very different conversation if T1 won either MSI or worlds, like really different sure. conversation right now, but it doesn't take away that this team has been just nuts consistent. Um, and even it's also the relative strength of the league because even if we're talking about 2015, for example, so in spring, um, in in spring of 2015, T1 went 11 and three, and then they went 17 and one in summer, right? Which is still overall, uh, what were they? 28 and four, which is still a lower percentage win rates in these in these best of threes. 
But at the same time, the level of competition in Korea at that time was much lower because that was immediately after the Korean exodus. That was probably the weakest year of overall competition. That was where, if you remember, the third best team was either CJ with Coco just carrying or the KT that had the pickaboo snow we told before, just briefly had yep. like Nagni. Like, that's your third best team. Like, that, you know what I mean? Game, clear scores. Also, clear scores. I mean, also, also when it mattered, T1 did 3-0 both the finals that year. They didn't even drop any game in the finals um they did nearly lose in that very famous uh best of five to cj that had like the crazy teleport play that'd be amazing um, fake leblanc carry or whatever it was right yeah yeah and so the bang I, lucian game everyone yes, remembers those classics yes. yeah 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 it was, it was actually the, it was a mega the spring, series the spring semifinals yeah. was actually an all-time like league of legends classic that did go to five games but in the finals, it was just 3-0 SKT both times. And the context for that is it was a much worse region because literally the two best teams in the world, every single player fucked off to China every, on, on Samsung, white and blue. They all left. So it was it was a crazy, crazy depletion of talent. And even then, I would argue T1 was not as dominant as they are now. And last year, yeah, you know, spring wasn't very competitive. Genji was clearly the best team by the time summer rolled around. Um, but this year, T1 has been dominant, has passed the eye test by a crazy degree. Faker is probably having his best split in six or seven years. I, I think it's probably think fair about to say this. that. You have to contrast it, I think, more with the other one to make this point you're making now, Money. Here's how I would put it this. One, like you said, even the ones that people are going to think of, the back-to-back -back world titles, was when actually against the field, Rocks Tigers was the best team. It's just they would yes. lose in playoffs and pressure matches and directly in head-to-head. -head. So already they weren't the dominant team in the regular season like now, which is what we're talking about. And then secondly, remember the patented style of how SKT used to win. They used to be the ones that team fought their way back from the 4K gold lead. Everyone remembers it, right? This team just murks you yeah. out the gate. This team, eye test-wise, has the best style. No one can even replicate their style. A lot of people can fight from behind. They were just better at it. In fact, that was how a lot of the teams played. They've not only got like a meta-defining, world-defining style right now, but as you said, the eye test checks out like a motherfucker. Like, even though it's Faker in 2015, that... Actually, at the time, Faker wasn't the best player in the world anymore. He was just a very good player. This team has arguably the two contenders for best player in the world, Faker and Carrier. They're both monsters. And like you say, it's stylistically. Almost, the great thing about this one is the paper stats are amazing. And then the eye test is fucking sick too. It's the only thing amazing. you have against them, like we say, is do they win the big international finals, which isn't really what we're discussing. We're discussing regular season play, right? I think it's a fair con con conversation. They might be the best. Yeah, and, and these runs are just so rare, guys. I mean, I asked Wolf about this on Monty and Wolf because famously he cast Heroes of the Storm when MVP Black was, I, I forget, was like 40-something straight wins and they were just right. dominating everybody in Korea, dominating everybody internationally. Like, they 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 had, like, the craziest, one of the craziest win streaks in the entire history of esports. Like them and, I don't know, you could probably name some other ones with the famous NIP one. 87-0, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, the, the in the early days of Overwatch, Envy's like win streak was fucking crazy. Um, but it, it's very rare that these teams come along. And I will say that typically these teams come along in emergent esports where one team it just gets the right group of new players and just dominates for a period of time. But this usually happens in the first one to two years in an esport, guys. It doesn't happen 10 years into an esport. You don't see like by then. 
you know, the, the, the kind of dust has settled. It's easier. You have more support structure around teams. So it's easier to like scout players and evaluate players, which means that there's more competition for good players on the roster. And it's harder to have a concentration of talent or a synergy or a read on the meta that is so dominant for such a long period of time. And the craziest thing too, is that they did this without coaches really last year. They didn't really have a lot of strategic coaches. And I think that having better strategic coaching now is part of the reason why they're able to hit this next gear, because I think that was a flaw last year was that Faker was basically the coach of the team. And that's probably still true to some degree, but at least it feels like the support staff is more engaged on a strategic side with the the hires that they've made. Um, but yeah, I mean, Faker Faker probably is having his best season since like 2016, 2017, oh, somewhere in there, right? I mean, he's he's amazing right now. Yes. And I'll even say this as well. To be fair, in the era you're talking about, 2015, 2016, like I thought to me, the metas were a little bit more like obvious, limited, static. In the last year and a half, we've had some pretty vibrant metas, dude. Like, it's not like an era where if you just happen to be the best, like we've talked about with those LPL teams, you lock into your meta. What have SKT locked into? Like, the point is they've defined their... They haven't even played to the meta. They just play their style. And they've played it in totally different metas. Think how different spring last year is from spring this year, Monty. It's it's night and day, mate. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's also the the level of diversity and team compositions that they're able to play. Like, they've kept their signature style of running these pick compositions, but there's it's much harder to ban them out or to exploit that at this point in time. As you noted earlier, their early game is just absolutely phenomenal. Wolf and I were talking, and it, they hit these timing windows that are just crazy. Like, they will be in the bot side, and they will have three to five seconds to kill a champion before the reinforcements of the other team arrive. And they're able to create the pick to all in and to get out within, within that time frame. And most teams wouldn't even attempt timing windows this narrow, but it's also the, the cohesion of following up on plays. Every player knows instantly what to do if a skill shot hits instantly. And I don't know, man. It's just this team is oh, if it, really if no one feels like it, the next level. The clip you need to see, because it is one of the sickest clips ever, is that one where wasn't it that like owner was on Lee Sin and as like the CC came in on like the guy around the dragon pit, he Lee, kick, Lee Sin kicks in as a Caitlin is channeled on three fucking things oh. came on. It was imp- <laughs> if you see this clip, the it joke is sandbox there's no way they yeah. commed this. They just did it. They just reacted yes. all of them. It wouldn't even be time to come and to press the buttons. Like it's it's genuinely staggering for Fucking clip it's so yeah, sick. It was it. yeah, it was game two of the second round robin yes. game between T1 and Liv Sandbox. I've talked about this moment it's a so lot because sick, it was though, just it? so mind-blowing to me. Yes. Because Envy is playing Ezreal, Ezreal with flash and heal up and his E up. Yep. And he's in the middle of four players, and owner comes over the back of the dragon pit while none of the other T1 players are on the screen, kicks him, and then all of a sudden he's getting Yasuo ulted, Caitlyn ulted, and burst out, and he just dies. 100 to zero. And it's yes. like, how could you possibly even know you were in danger at that moment in time? It was like so ridiculous. Yes. I was like, well, I guess T1's just too fucking good. Like no one yeah. else would have seen this angle. No one else would have attempted this play. But it's the level of synergy and trust that they have in each other that's just bonkers right now. And we see this consistently with them and the way that they're making tower dives. They they know how to juggle everything so perfectly. They know how to sequence their abilities so perfectly. They really are just fucking next level. And they're setting the meta. 
80 carries, you know, 80 carries in the support role, Carrier being dominant, Faker playing all these new picks and um, having these very strong mid jungle matchups. And like the thing about Faker is that, you know, Faker isn't the hardest carry player, which is why I, I, I think this is a controversial opinion. I did rate him a little bit less than I rate Chovy right now because his job on the team is different. He plays more supportive uh, style, obviously, yeah. He plays a more supportive style. And like, the thing is, is that his teammates are so fucking good that he, he doesn't have to carry. And maybe he could carry harder if he needed to, but he doesn't need to. And I do think that Faker's vision of the game his sense of macro his playmaking ability is still incredibly extraordinary but i i don't think that he has been the most consequential mid laner if that makes sense uh, around the team's victories because there are so many advantages that that t1 has and i think he's also playing with three players in owner Caria, and zeus who are clearly the best at their roles in the lck and i don't think it's really arguable by the way, I had an angle I wanted to bring up because I don't know if you've ever discussed this actual point. If not, then it's just a gift that you can take to Wolf because he might like it. One of the things that's crazy is also the way they've had this second breakout era. Because if you think about what's crazy, Monty, is everyone's forgetting what happened in 2019, 2010, and then 2011 if you were T1, right? This is the part they're forgetting, Monty, is remember in this particular team, they were actually in that era because they had Faker and they had all the, the cabinet with all the trophies in. That's the era when all the star fuckers come to you. You can get every star player you want. So what they used to do in that era to try and get domestic titles and national success was just put the best names possible around Faker. So of course they brought in Khan and Duke. And if people don't forget, even Teddy was like owning on Jyn and fucking Mata came back to LCK and you had Clid who used to be a pop-off jungler in the LCK. You had all these big names. But actually that didn't yield that much success. What's so sick to me for the org T1, even though it's not the same org really, is the way they've had this second renaissance, is the way they had the first fucking success with Faker's team when they got all the rookies out of solo queue and put him in and coached them. Coleman, that's why everyone hailed this guy for years and coached them around a genius mid laner who's super sick and the rest of the player's job was essentially fit to this style. So they've done that. Look, obviously Kerry, we all know, we saw him on DRX and those other teams, but you look at the other three. Zeus, like we say, was the backup owner was just some guy and fucking Gumayushi aside from that novelty aspect that he's innovation's brother he wasn't some star player like it's actually so sick that they've re-upped with all this because I would I I'll tell you right now I would have gambled against it when I saw this roster initially I would have thought oh what the fuck like your T1 why aren't you recruiting deft why aren't you recruiting you know like all these stud players why aren't you getting peanut back you know but instead they gambled and went back to the sort of like the talent approach as it were and I tell you what it's fucking amazing because as you say look at that list of names you just read there two of the names on that list were fucking nobodies they've locked they've locked into it and spoiler when you can do it in two different areas it ain't luck like someone's doing a really good whether it's I don't know if it's Faker scouting these guys but whoever did it did an amazing job scouting this class of players and I, I mean, I'll, I do... I'll say this as well, mate. I personally, I would have given up on Gumiushi after last year. I'd have said, right, yeah. time to just get a pl Like, if Deft is available, got, I'd have just done the signing. Exactly. <laughs> but tell you what, they held on that one, and I can't blame them. They hasn't looked bad. Guma's been way better this year. Yeah, Guma was very good at World. I think he was T1's best player at Worlds as well, uh, on the whole. So I think after Guma's like Worlds high, even though his summer split was pretty bad, uh, you don't get rid of him, but there is obviously like the temptation to replace him with Deft, and and he is objectively, guys. I don't care how big of a Gumayushi stand you are, 
he's a good player, guys. Don't get me wrong, but he is objectively the most replaceable player on this roster Obviously, right now. Yeah, you, like you could you could put Viper in there, you could put Deft in there, and the question would be: Is T one a worse team? Like, no. The problem with anyone <laughs> debating Gumayushi versus any other ADC goes like this. I, here's my counter to whatever you say: uh, the other ADC doesn't have carrier. <laughs> exactly. Kiss calls, Your Honor. Uh, can we get lunch? Actually, already like shops calls are like. Give me a break. You know what I mean? Like, who does Viper have? Shut the fuck up, everyone. <laughs> yeah, and and I think with with you know jungle talent being what it is in LCK right now, and owner's real development, that it would be very difficult to replace owner. I think the second yes. most replaceable player is Faker. Um, and people get mad because they're like, you would replace Faker. I'm like, no, I fucking wouldn't. This team works so well because of their synergy. Like, I wouldn't replace any of the players right now. But we have also, to rank not saying, like and least replaceable. <laughs> we're not saying we'd replace him just with anyone. We're talking about we'd replace him with, like, Shawbaker or something, or fucking Wookiee or something. Yeah, we'd put a pretty good player in there too, guys. Some good mid laners, boys. Yeah, and Faker, Faker's performance is great because he is perfect for the way this team yes. plays stylistically. So replacing faker would be a lot worse than replacing that's why if you notice i always try to pair this narrative because i think people are just missing it if they don't because he, the problem is faker has this crazy inertia from his old narrative where he was the solo carry the coolest thing about faker in this era is that he's gone the Zhaohu route that it's about like using your brain to make your team yes. win the game it's not about you start being a star at all it's about you getting it's like it's like if you have the top laner on the carry champion you figure out how i get him ahead that's where he's leveled the game because as you say he's actually <laughs> become i think Zhao who's the same they're like a coach in the game that's all yes. as fuck if you've got the stars around them yeah and i think that's what's really irreplaceable about faker is not necessarily his individual play it's his shot calling right and it is just fortunate that this season faker's individual play is significantly better than it was last year he looks mechanically better i mean he looks better in terms of his individual decision making he I don't know what happened, but this is... I, I never expected to see Faker individually play this well ever again. No, no, why would you? Exactly. And it, even just happening. eye test-wise, he's had so many clean games, mate. So oh, yeah. He's got to give it up, on not he? he? has just leveled his game up. By the way, I have a fun question for you because I actually think a lot of fans are going to miss this because, unfortunately, since people either don't watch the Asian regions as much or they don't know the particulars, they might not know that a classic feature of the modern-day format of the LCK is they have the selection after the first matches. Guys, yep. this is beautiful because if you don't know, I would love to be a fly on the wall where you're going to have to pick, do I want to play D plus or KT? But remember, it's going to be after you've seen them play those series. So you have to realize KT's playing sandbox. I think they're going to murk them. D plus, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who knows the handball? Look, they should still win, but who knows how it looks? So like they're at, I want to know how they make that choice because that's a choice. Remember, normally in an all bracket, you just play wherever you play. In this scenario, if you're like T1, for example, it's like your choice determines so much about how hard or how easy your next match becomes, mate. I want to know which way you think they're going to go on that one. What's your prediction? So Wolf, Wolf and I discussed this and we actually disagreed on what we thought would be the the eventuality of this. Like, I think- I'm T1... guessing you think they're going to, you think they're going to pick uh, KT. No, I think they're going to pick D+. Plus. Oh, Wolf the other way around, right? It's Wolf who thought they get T. Okay. So the reason why I think they're going to pick D+, plus is that T1 just ran a clinic on D+, plus this past week. So we've literally just seen this matchup. And the problem with what happened was this. D+, plus has been very reliant on Deft and Kellen 
playing through bot lane in order to carry the game. Sure. And that is basically been d plus's only win condition because showmaker has been inconsistent and uh kana has been okay but he's not lighting the world on fire and what t1 did in this series and t1 is super good i mean we saw them dissect kt's flaws but in a way because that happened many weeks ago now it happened like a month ago when we saw that matchup and kt came back after that week and then immediately started uh dimensionalizing their style they started playing more pick compositions so they had all the threat of old kt but now they weren't just going to get completely owned by jacks karma and sejuani bands okay so they got found out t1 exposed them but then by the next week we saw a very different version of kt they beat gen g um in a very legit series, they they started running pick compositions. They had a new flavor to their gameplay. The problem with D plus is they really haven't had a new flavor to their gameplay. Um, the things that they fixed were mostly putting Canyon on early game junglers or Showmaker. Uh, his individual plays were getting better. By that I mean he wasn't getting caught out in side lanes, dying, and then giving over a Baron. So that has improved. But the way that they fundamentally win the game is still through bot. And so what T1 did was they basically just forced a bunch of fights in the bot side, won all the fights in the bot side, since, you know, got death behind. And then at the same time, because Zeus is so good, if you give Zeus an isolated 1v1 with no jungler interference, he will just win. And so there was really no upside for D+, which is that Zeus was just slamming Kana right? And then the bot side was also one because Faker was taking more roams. They were winning those skirmishes. Um, Kerry and Gumiyushi, uh, you know, they were basically winning 3v3s and 4 versus 4s on the bottom side of the map. Def was behind and they couldn't win the game. So I find it difficult to believe that D-plus has enough carry potential at the current point in time to actually beat T1. Here's the thing. I actually do think, by the way, this is why I think I said it's so interesting because in my opinion, it says so much about, you can speculate so many angles on this decision. You can go based on these factors, Monty. You can go on the head-to-head -head between the teams, like you're saying, which is very interesting on the KT angle because KT goes head-to-head -head with the top two teams very well, actually. And then the other angle, obviously, is you can go on things like uh, historical factors, like how good are the players historically, how good are they and that angle. You could also go off factors like psychologically, we think we just match up better against them. But here's the problem. If I was taking the nameplates off, and the question is just in a normal game, who wins? I would actually be more scared of KT if I'm T1 than I would D+. Yeah. But here's why I actually might pick KT instead of D+. Because oh <laughs> here's another factor that I do think is a real analytical lens, and history has taught me in eSports, never discount this lens. The quality of the players historically. And the reason I yep. say that is this. That's Wolf's I argument. I can't know that KT's players will do it in the playoffs. There's a world where even though, yes, I agree, stylistically right now, T1 should beat D-plus all day long. But at the end of the day, that is still Deft, Canyon, and Showmaker. And yep. you throw them in a playoff series, you never know. All you need yep. is one of... All you need is like Showmaker yep. to just have three games that are just sick. And that the problem is, is BDD going to do that? feels less likely. You know what I mean? That's yeah. why I that's why I feel like it's such a hard choice. I don't think this is easy. I'm very interested to see what the choice will be depending on how those quarters go. I mean, it's the same thing that Wolf and I were saying all of last year too, which is that you can't count Dom one out yes. because when they hit playoffs or when they hit Worlds, this is a team that is used to those pressures, has performed yes. extremely well historically. You simply cannot count these guys out of the match. 
And that proved to be true. I mean, I think Damwon did have a pretty solid world's performance. They were even uh, good against Given, given their relative legit, yeah. strength, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I agree. And th I think that's the problem with KT. I, my counter argument to that will be a little bit of this, which is that BDD has stepped up in big moments historically. And he's also been really good. I think it's very, as for all the hype around Faker in the mid lane, people are, if we're being honest, Faker's performance has been absolutely excellent, but the reason that everybody thinks Faker is the best is because he's fucking Faker, and people people oh, want him to be the best. They can never take the nameplates off when it's Faker. Oh, yeah, people want him to be the best. Yes. And so I think it's actually very difficult, and Wolf and I had an extended conversation about this, to decide who has been the best mid laner in LCK, whether it's Chovy, Faker, or BDD, because all of them have been really good, and they've yes. been really good in very different ways. Like, yeah. stylistically, they're all very unique right now. So it's hard to say who is definitively the best, uh, I think. Uh, as much as people are like, yes, Faker. And, like, obviously the narrative of Faker being the king of the of mid lane course. again is, is so seductive. Like, that's yes. so sexy that people really want to believe it. Uh, but you can't get too horny for the name Faker. And we have to have a kind of objective conversation about what the mid laner strengths are and what they do with the teams. Um, and I would say Faker has the least burden of those three players when it comes to carry potential. Now, as far as why you shouldn't pick KT if you're T1, is that Keen, the, the top lane rankings are like Zayas at the top, Keen slightly below him, and then like a giant gap, and then everybody else in the top lane, you know, whether it's like Doran or Kana third, like whatever. But Keen has been pretty convincingly the second best top laner, and he plays a lot of picks like GP that other people are not really playing. And so to me, KT just has more carry threats. Like BDD has had a better season than Showmaker. Cuz oh. um, might be the factor that you may not like entirely on this KT roster, but they also can play front to back team fighting. If you, you can't give them karma as T1 knows, but now you can't give them a bunch of other picks too. Like BDD has been really good on the Twisted Fate. He's been really good on the Yone. Um, they're a very different team than T1. And they can't like because, for example, if they try and do these bot lane dives because aiming likes playing Zeri, they like playing, you know, Ezreal Karma. You know, they like playing Zeri uh, and and hiding under a turret and waiting to scale to to late game in the bot lane. You know, if Cuz is shadowing the bot lane and preventing some of these dives, KT can evolve to a point where BDD and Keen get super strong. It's just that there are more serious carry threats on KT, and maybe T1. Has a, has a new way to pick them apart because God knows the last time they met them, they completely picked them apart in draft. Maybe they have some crazy new insight and I'm very excited to see that series if in, it probably will happen at some point in time in a double elimination playoff. Um, but I, I just don't think you select that. But no, you, no. you might also, as you're saying, on a good day, on a very good day, D-plus probably has a higher ceiling, which yeah, is yeah. the scary part. No, the reason I'm with you is because I told you I've been hyping this for like the last three episodes, but it's because it's playing out the way I hoped it would. KT is the ultimate spice for the LCK playoffs. Like, this is the team that, for real, could come second, or they could just come, like, fourth. <laughs> and by the way, it just depends on what day, what the fuck out. Because the good thing that we're saying is they have some pop-off players, and the three main laners are very good again. Very yes. good players, yes. So... Yeah, I mean, obviously... I mean, like, I'll tell you right now, if T1 doesn't pick KT, Gen G's going to be pretty sad. Because <laughs> they, they don't want to see KT in that matchup, I'm telling you, dude. I mean, so the thing about it is that... They don't want to see is, that match. It's not been a good matchup for Gen no. G. 
Whereas like Genji has not been a good matchup for T1. Yes. Like that the ideal final is probably T1 versus Genji yeah. just for like the most exciting final. So why the double elims also win. for this split, especially because we're probably gonna get all these matchups, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it is like I would not be super happy if I was Genji to to find KT because KT has had Genji's yep. number. Um they've had they've had Genji's number, and I think they match up better. So uh, because, you know, BDD and Chovy are both these carry mid laners. They can kind of like dual carries in the mid lane. And, and Keen is just like, he's better than Doran is. Um, and Genji also hasn't had the same like dive potential to put aiming behind. And aiming is such a massive like late game team fighting threat that if you don't get him behind, you 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 tend to have problems. <laughs> so uh, it's harder for Genji to do that. So you know, those games tend to go later. But KT has been very methodical. Um, very methodical uh, against Genji. But here's so. the thing, by the way, I'll give you a free one. No one will ever use it anyway because it's fucking League of Legends. Y'all aren't creative like I am. I would years ago in LCK, if I was a caster, have done the joke terminology where because his name's Doran, if he's playing sick carries, he's Doran's fucking whatever blade. And otherwise he's Doran's shield if he's just playing the shit tanks. <laughs> isn't he? I'd have done that whole angle years ago, mate. It's like a little thing in the game, a little bit of reference law, all that, all that jazz, you know? Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's kind of a preview of the the LCK playoffs right it's gonna now. Going to be an amazing have, playoffs, like we're we saying. Have five, it could, or we have it could be one of the most five. competitive LCK playoffs ever, boys. It's going to be really yeah. good. And what's what's fun is this week in particular, we have four best of fives, so we get to see all of the teams. We're going to get to see KT Live Sandbox D Plus versus Hanwha, and then we'll get to see whoever T One selects in the in the next round, and Genji ends up with. So we get to see all six teams in the playoffs. Um, we get to see. Uh, two teams be eliminated and uh, it'll be a really good time. So it's like probably the most hype week for, for LCK overall and LCS playoffs beginning. And then a week after we'll get the, we'll get the LPL playoffs rolling and we'll, you know, what, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, three weeks from now, we'll get the, uh, no, two weeks from now. Cause it starts on Monday. We'll start to get the, the playoffs for LEC. So it's all coming together. And this is this is a very exciting time because it finally feels like this is going to be the peak of the season. We get to see these sick Asian playoffs. Um, the LEC format has proven to be exciting. LCS playoffs or whatever, but that's fine. And then we're going to get straight into the best tournament of this year, which is MSI. I, I'm super excited about this new format. It's it's really feels like a great couple of months to be a League of Legends fan. Like from now until the end of May is going to be some really fucking good shit. Yes. Do All some right. viewer questions. Let's do some viewer Let's questions. do a quick break there. I'll see the toilet quickly. All right. Quick break, then viewer questions, guys. Right. We're going to be back now and do some viewer questions. So if people want to know, it's not from Twitch chat viewers. It's from people who are Discord subscribers so basically you can now on discord pay for subscriptions we do that because it's the best revenue split for us and when you do it much as people used to buy the grog coin you will get access on our discord server last free nation to a channel where you can put questions for this particular segment so we've got a whole bunch there i would suggest if anyone watches live in the future just watch live and come up with a question as you're doing it and pop it in there and then maybe we ask it then so if you go there that's how you get it all and monty will pick out some of the best questions now Right. And if you were an old Grogcoin subscriber, you still have access to ask questions as well because we haven't actually done the refunds yet because uh, we've been super busy with uh, investment and fundraising. Uh, we will get around to that, guys, for those of you who are uh, curious. Um, but that's where we are with that. In the meantime, 
continue to enjoy the perks, which is what you paid for in the first place. So uh, why does it feel like Korean gamer tanks tags sound better than most others worldwide? Is it just the tags or the prestige behind the names like faker innovation, even ambition just resonates? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what it is culturally about it. It, it has always seemed in esports like Korean players pick really impactful English words. I think part of it is that basically everybody in Korea gets an English language education that's mandatory. So they're more familiar with the language. And then I, I'm not sure why Chinese players tend to choose more like number tags or things like that. Uh, I know it's symbolic within the Chinese language, but I don't know enough about Chinese language or culture to really opine on that front. I've got a few angles for you. All right. So here we go. First things first, you're just selectively picking the names out, guys. They also call themselves after every possible noun. They'll call themselves Apple. Is that cool <laughs> to be called Apple and be like, no, I mean, not really, you know. Famously, one of the best StarCraft II players of all time was Nesty because he had a bottle of Nesty on his desk. So the problem is, essentially, <laughs> I think that what makes it work for Koreans is that they tend to just pick neutral nouns that don't have anything imbued in them. I've always given this example. Two of the greatest Counter-Strike players of all time are called Forest with a zero instead of an O, and get right, but with all up and down capitalization. <laughs> Those would be the two shittest aliases if you were the worst players in the world. You would be mocked routinely for how whack those are, especially the captain. But because they are two of the greatest ever, they sound like those are super sick, cool names. So there's that. And then second, and then, and by the way, so for the same reason, I'll just rewind it. Faker isn't even that cool an alias. In fact, I've always yeah. thought, like yeah, I always say about Nuclear Int, if he hadn't have been the greatest of all time, it would have also been his undoing if he had been a fraud and his name was Faker. Bro, you can't come. The memes are going to destroy you on that one. Like, you know, the name, the alchemical the fucking twilight language of the birds is going to get you on that one. So, like, it's just that he is so sick. So I think, firstly, the player makes the name because, like I say, they're fairly neutral aliases usually. The player makes it. And then on the Chinese one, as far as I know, because the way thing if you notice about the Chinese names is there's also tons of players who have like shortened names or names that are like three yeah. or four letters. As far as I know, it's cause of things like when they have really long names in Chinese, it's like those are like sort of micro, those are like ways to shorten it down or whatever or make like a play on words or some shit like that as far as I know. So yeah, there's a lot of that. One thing I'll say the Chinese do better is they're obviously the best with the nicknames. They always have like some poetic or evocative nickname yes. or some play on words or a pun on oh, what yeah, your name was in Chinese. Sure. They have so many sick angles. So I, I actually just think it's more just that if you're in the West, I think a lot of aliases are either, and this is what I don't think they're doing in Korea or not in this way, in the West, you either pick something you thought was cool when you were 13, that is almost destined to be shit when you grow up, or it's something like Perks, his alias is Perk, his surname is Perkovich. That's just like a nickname. That's like Perks is like a, a fun nickname. So essentially, those aren't set up to be the coolest shit of all time, are they? Whereas I think essentially the Koreans just lock into it sometimes by being sick at the game and then picking a name that doesn't carry its own sort of backstory, you know? Like Ambition is another one. If that was a bad player, you wouldn't think it was that cool. You think it's cool because he was had fucking swag and he was a super sick player and he had that attitude even his look I always thought Ambition looked like he came out of an anime he was he was ridiculous wasn't he he looked like <laughs> yeah. literally you know that everyone was loving that clip of Guma Yushi where he had the fucking glasses Ambition should have had those glasses for real every game he was like that fucking guy out of evil like mm, yes yes Shinji I mean, they, they that was like his whole shit with the baseball bat yeah, where exactly. he, he looked like he was from Paranoid Agent or something yes, like that but yeah exactly. um, yeah I mean the the 
the other thing is you guys will remember, especially if you're a longtime Korean esports fan, you'll think about the StarCraft players with the StarCraft one players via their IDs. But in Korea, it was they were known by their real name. Oh, exactly. Like, yeah. You know, nobody called the guys like, you know, boxer or savior like they use their real Korean names for that. So it sounds cooler than it is because they were just using their real names yes. in Korea, right? Like if people don't um, know, this is a thing that like old school people will know this, but there's a reason why in the West this name wasn't that popular. There's a reason why they called that four player group of amazing generation of players of Bisu, Jadong, Flash and B and uh, what's his name? Fucking, ah, fuck, what's the third one? Stalk. Those four players were called Take Bang Lee Sang because that basically meant like parts of the names. Like I think Take was like Stalk and then like what I know maybe Bang was Stalk, Take was Bisu, part of then three perp name. And then I think Lee right. Sang meant like two Lees, which is like Jadong and Flash. That's why that was a famous name. Cause as you say, it's default, even on the cast, they just used the names. They were, if Bisu was playing, it was just people going like, Kim Tae-yong, Kim Tae-yong, like a million times. No one was saying Bisu <laughs> on the cast. Like you think that cause you watched the Western one, you're right. Like that wasn't a big thing to Koreans. That was more just the gamer ID on Battle.net wasn't right. it? Whereas to us, I mean, it was everything. Yeah. They don't do that anymore um, because it's obviously, how can I put this? StarCraft Brood War was a Korean esport for Korean people. Yes. Only. <laughs> Only, basically. And like the, you know, the the 10 white guys who watched it, like me and Thorin. <laughs> um, but uh, for, for the most part, you know, once, once, especially in League of Legends and StarCraft 2, when a large percentage, and especially in StarCraft 2, the majority of that audience was actually not Korean. Uh, that it became better to use the names that everybody could agree on and were easy to remember because most Westerners are not going to remember 50 Korean, real Korean names because they're in a different language, right? It's it's a lot easier when everybody speaks at least some degree of English in the esports scene to have an English tag. Here's the difference. In the modern day, the Korean fan instantly would know Faker. But as Monty says, no one ever said boxer. They always said fucking... What Im Johan? So they always just yeah, said, they always said his name. Always that was the default way. So yeah, I'm with you on that one. Right, next one. Uh, what is your sincerely held esports belief that you think would tilt your co-host the most? <laughs> I don't know if I have one that would real. I, I don't know if. Mm, hmm. Okay. I think we agree on most things. I'm trying to think of something that would really tilt you. I mean, I'll tell you an obvious one that I think, I just I don't know whether you would come up with it, but I actually think, look, here's the problem. You you might actually be the only one who's reasonable enough not to do this, but I have heard LS. I think LS is the one who said this. He, LS, I think, is one of those people who thinks you, or, that you shouldn't even compare like Flash to Faker. And it's like, listen, motherfucker, the other way around. <laughs> one of them plays a children's game. And like, essentially, if you don't know, I think Faker's truly great because of the scope of the game and how people played. But at the end of the day, he is essentially playing Monopoly and Flash was playing chess. That's the yeah. analogy to me. So that way, I don't know if you're on that one, but like, I, I think that's sacrilege when people do that one, like that sort of angle. So it's, it's always big historical ones are the ones that tilt me, basically. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I guess, sadly, I obviously, in sports, we have a similar one. Like, you could just say Tom Brady's the goat or something, like, you know, like, that, I guess. <laughs> I, well, but you I, don't even I believe that, that either, exactly. So, <laughs> does it work? Does it hit? <laughs> I have, I have insane bias not to believe that. I'm on the other end of the spectrum, with, where because I'm a Broncos fan, I actually just can't believe that fact. It's, it's impossible oh, for me to believe that that that, is, that could be true. 
Um, especially because the Broncos had the best record against Tom Brady at the same no, time. No, here's the thing. You must have some <laughs> esports related opinion, though, that would be really different. Let me think what it could be, though. What could it I be? I mean, I, we share most of the same beliefs about the industry, yeah, too, which is why think. we're working on this project together. So it's, it's. I don't know. I can't really think on that one. Yeah. I could think up some for you, but they're just. And then again, even, how much would it really tell you is the thing? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like the closest I could come maybe is this, but I think you maybe even know this because I have told you jokingly you did get lucky. I do think that actually, in a fucked up way, the best thing that happened to you was the Overwatch League. Pause. Now, the reason why, because that, that alone, I could stop right there and just walk out and just leave him tilted. Bro. No, I mean in this sense, though, because I do feel like you would have been in the same camp LS was, which is if you had, at your peak, been in league in season eight, season nine, season 10, when the LPL won the Worlds, you would have ended up getting Froskoren and Kelsey Mozart from back in season five. Like, LS kept riding with LCK and he kept thinking, like, the LPL teams didn't make sense. And I think the problem is, even though you might have been right stylistically, because you would have been wrong on the outcome, some fans would have just trashed you so hard, I think, mate. Like, yeah. they would because the problem before that is the reason we all joke about the idea you like the Korean dick sucker, it's because they also were the best. So it's almost like, what, how am I, how do I get a hate on for loving them? But if they hadn't have been the best, I think people would have hated you so hard. Well, it's, it's also one of those things where it's hard to know what would have happened. Because, like I said, when I left to do Overwatch League, you know, even though I would have 15,000 concurrent viewers on my stream, there was no real way to monetize that at that point in time. Like the actual subscription rates were really low and uh, Prime Prime hadn't given the free subs yet, which drives a lot of people's income. You know, it was difficult to sell sponsors against streams like that. I couldn't sign to a team. There were all, there were all these factors, right? So had I known and just kept on being a streamer, right? It could have been very good for me financially, but given my career choice of continuing to work with Riot as they closed a monopoly and like took out, like took OGN out behind the shed and shot them, uh, it was looking really grim that I would even get work as a, as a caster. And I also had ambitions to do more than just be a caster. Like I don't want to spend the rest of my life being a caster. I think it is a career with a very definitive ceiling. And even though that definitive ceiling can be comfortable if you're among the best, having a family trying to live a stable lifestyle when you're constantly like chasing one year contracts. And I say this because I'm a, it's a bit hypocritical because I'm a psychopath chasing investment funding right now <laughs> for this company. And I wouldn't call startups like a stable environment, yeah, sure. especially in the current economy. So hilariously, but I'm also learning new skills um, that are applicable. So I don't know. Here's um, the thing. I can answer this question for real like this though. Technically, Monty did have a take that did tilt me, but it's just we very quickly resolved it. When on the Four Horsemen, he tried to do that Monty thing where he was like, I don't know if EG execs are doing it maliciously. <laughs> well, that did, just because that was like a thing also some fans had said as well, that did tilt the fuck out of me. The problem with this one is this question would have been perfect for the Four Horsemen because if Richard Lewis was here, then all I would need to say is the sentence, and I believe it, Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback than Tom Brady. That would tilt him <laughs> off the face of the earth. Because you have to understand, he's tried to have that intervention so many times. He's even done it on by the numbers one side. But I don't, I just won't, I won't budge, you know. I won't budge. I don't care. I don't care. I'll go down um, with that one. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I mean, also, you know, I, I disagree with Richard's, like, purity of soul takes on the esports industry or on money in general. I, I admire them with him, but I think that it's impossible to be to not take bad money in global capitalism. So what's the point? Um, was the CJ and his super team of shy flame and mad life genuinely in consideration or was it all just nonsense rumors spreading at the time? There was a, I'm trying to remember. I think there was some truth to that uh, because 
uh, they had all these players on the roster and there was a there was an opportunity to consolidate talent on one roster and maybe switch Flames' role. The problem people forgetting was, as far as I remember, because I think I actually asked him this in my like second reflections interview with him, and I think he did imply there was like it was like in talks or something. But I think it, what people forget is this: Flames' timing in his career was the worst ever because he'd been a stud every split, and that last split before they consolidated into LCK was the one where he sort of phoned it in because they weren't that good a team, and you remember they, like missed the playoffs or whatever. And so, if you remember that the story behind the scenes, because enough times passed, we could say this now once. Behind the scenes, the rumor was, if people remember, Flame famously, another reason I used to love him as a player, was not only eye test-wise was he exactly the type of player I love, but he would say all the right things in interviews. Like, he was the guy in the interview who was like, no, like, I don't... Remember famously, he said, I don't have a girlfriend because, like, essentially, like, I, I just focus on the game. Like, I don't want, like, my I, my heart to be fluttering when some woman's... I want to just only be the best at the game. That was the split where the rumor was that because he was sick of, like, hard carrying when the team wasn't the best, that he'd started to, like maybe have like more extracurricular activities and not practice as much. So I think unfortunately he probably picked the worst time ever to let his foot off the gas pedal when obviously, yeah, on it would have been a slam dunk to make that super team, wouldn't it? Shy was one of the great top players. Flame, if people don't know, was amazing at the AP champions as well as a top player. Like it would have been a really cool team to try. I'd have liked to have seen it. It, it's one yeah. of those ones where you have to do it like it's a bit like when I did my interview with Grabs and he was saying there was a scenario where they for real were thinking of doing a G2 lineup with Mickey X ADC and Hillersang support and his joke was <laughs> even though in theory it'd be terrible you almost have to try it for the science you yeah. know what I mean like you wanted to see what it'd be like don't you, you I, to I see. think it was just it was very disappointing in that era too because CJ like insisted on fielding like kind of like mediocre teams so it was uh, it was bad yeah uh is joe marsh low-key one of the better owners in esports from architect of korean esports based joe oh, wait a minute wait a minute the problem with that one bro is your name gave it away your name is a meme on fucking joe marsh <laughs> yeah, exactly. the problem is, if, that, if that had been from a normal person i could believe you asked like your initial ls viewer but like you even know that's not true that's why you have that name so, come on so i i think that <laughs> here's here's my take on joe marsh I actually think that Joe Marsh is one of the better leaders of LCK because I think he he has implied via social media that he is against, you know, these bullshit rookie contracts that are trapping these young players. Okay. Um, play. You know, he's pushed very aggressively for for more, uh, you know, viewership on on the global stream. I think I think from a business perspective, like he actually does have a very good grasp of what is necessary in the LCK. And I think that he treats his players well. It's clear that they have a good system in place, which was kind of already there because T1 has historically always had a good training environment and good scouting. Um, but he's shepherded it well. And I don't I don't have a problem with the with his goals or the things that he believes. My problem with Joe Marsh is that he acts like a cringy teenager at times and that he seems to have this fundamental and very immature need for attention that then gets him into trouble and gets him into really stupid controversies like the stuff he was saying on that public discord server for fans about owner. Oh, it's it's like, bro, you are the CEO of this organization. Like, just don't type those things. It's dumb. That was the think, levels of embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> like, just don't do that, man. Like, you can, you can, I think he lacks dignity and class, but I don't fundamentally, I think that his, I do think that his goals are noble. So it's, it's hard. Um, but I think, 
am I glad that Joe Marsh is in esports? Yes, because I think he is a net positive. I just wish he would get rid of some of these childish tendencies that he has. That's my take. Right. My problem is this. There's only two angles I don't like with Joe Marsh, and they go like this. One is all of his public statements about everything not to do with his domain of speciality. And that reminds me actually quite a lot of someone you'll know, which is Marty, a.k.a. Lazy Chickens from Splice yeah. Overactive Media. He's another person where, as a human, if you met him in real life, he's, he's totally great. fine. You can, you can have a drink yeah. with him. He's a cool guy. And in his area, he knows some things about business. But as soon as they start talking about stuff that's outside of that, they say yeah. mad embarrassing shit all the time. Yeah. In fact, you get the vibe that because they're in room where they have all the yes men and the entourage, they get that stupid thing of thinking every opinion's great, which some of these are terrible opinions. And then secondly, the other one is this. Joe Marsh plays this game that I will never fuck with, which goes like this. Because you're American, but you own T1, you act like you can step into conversations about LCS and be like, I don't know if this owner's doing it. Motherfucker, you're not even playing that game. That's ridiculous. <laughs> one, you're doing nothing to do with T1 as to why they're amazing. So don't pick yourself up there. Secondly, Jack from Cloud9 doesn't have the options you have with T1, you dickhead. Yeah. He doesn't have Terry and Faker, you know what I mean? Like, so, And then also, I'll say this, because I used to say the same thing about the LCS owners when it came to Europe. You know when the LCS owners would sort of go like, well, you know, Europe isn't as financially developed as we are, and we're doing a great job. It's like, yeah, go and play in that pond then. Go and buy into the LEC and show me how brilliant you are at business and how you're a genius, Steve Arter. Like, Because here's this point, the region is what limits you, not the guy's talent of business. So you're playing the game on easy mode. You're with the giant sponsors in NA. So it's the same thing. It's like, Joe Marsh, if you want to comment on LCS, pop on in and own a team, homie. You buy Immortals, yeah. bring all the players you want, get Faker in if you want. <laughs> then we'll have a fun time. We'll see how good you are, mate. Because well, I hate that. It's is... like, you know, you're, in that scenario, that's like you're sitting over here, in theory, the catbird seat, the easiest position. We've just said the star player essentially magnetizes players towards himself and yeah. coaches the team and is the goat and won all the championships already that you'll ever need in the resume ever. And then you're going, from, you're acting like you were involved with that and looking at Jack, who by the way, was instrumental in every championship his team ever won, every great yeah. player that ever came, every yeah. fucking banger. Like, come on. Like that's, so, that's such like, a, it's such a sort of disingenuous fucking position. You know, I hate, I hate that angle in general, mate. He's also not an owner to be clear. He, the person who owns the team, it, like, is Comcast is the Roberts family of which Tucker Roberts, the son of Brian Roberts, the CEO of Comcast is the guy who is in charge of, of the T one negotiations. He owns the Philadelphia fusion slash now soul infernal overwatch league team. Um, you know, he, he was the guy who restarted G four. So, I mean, he's literally, he literally has a billionaire family bank rolling his team. Uh, so he's not an owner and he also just has basically unlimited money to make this team. So he has so many systemic the definition of a silver spoon. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, he doesn't even have a silver spoon. He has like the Thanos infinity gauntlet spoon with like yeah, exactly. fucking faker in here, infinite wealth, like in Like, Give me a break. <laughs> Most prestigious esports team in history. That's ridiculous in it. So and then he's like advantages. <laughs> What about just like, <laughs> so, so, but I do think that Joe Marsh, I think his heart's in the right place. And I do think his goals with the LCK are noble. And I, you know, I do think that he cares for the players and the team. So I think he's a, he's a good guy who occasionally just like 
you know, puts his foot in his mouth for whatever reason. He's mostly just annoying. He's not evil. No, here's the sad thing. The reason I know he just annoys me, Monty, is because fundamentally part of me does want to see like Faker win another championship. But every time they lose these game fives, when right. I remember Joe Marsh is going to be upset, it, exactly. I can't lie. It gives me Schadenfreude. I can't lie. I know it's petty, but it does. It really does. It is. It, it, so here's here's a comparison I'll make that you'll appreciate, Thorin. And you NFL fans are as well. You know how Russell Wilson is like annoying. So people love to hate on him, but mean what, but he's not evil. Like he's a really no, good no. person. He's, legit, yeah. fucking, he's, he's weird and annoying. And so it's really easy to like laugh at him and yes. like make fun of him. And he becomes much more of a center of attention than he should be for a guy who is visiting children's hospitals every weekend and seems to be very nice, even if he is super awkward and cringy. Um, but the comparison here is like, how come Russell Wilson gets all this flack, but Deshaun Watson just like flies under the radar, even though he played like shit too. And he actually did some really horrible, horrible things. That's what it feels like sometimes at esports is we're yes. all, and uh, to be fair, we do laugh at Joe Marsh a lot. So we are actually partially yeah, yeah. responsible for this, but like Joe Marsh is more like Russell Wilson. He's and, not like, on the level of the AG execs, put it that way. Exactly. I mean, just that one story alone. He's nowhere near that, is he? Exactly. Come on. Exactly. So I feel like because Joe Marsh, does is awkward in these ways he he actually is inadvertently drawing he's like pulling aggro yes. away from the people who are doing actually bad stuff which is not him um not him to be clear uh are there any specific roles or people you are looking to further expand lfn um tbd we need to get investment first and then we can have those conversations uh the answer is probably we'll be looking for more producers and video editors as we expand into other games yeah the, the obvious answer is we will do all the games if the company succeeds yeah um and then we will need more people to help help out but on spoiler that just in case you were asking if you're asking as a fan of the show we're told you if you naively think you a random can get any of these positions you're out of your mind so i'll just put I'll, i'm not going to sugarcoat i'll just tell you straight up but we're hiring really good people we're not getting you random guy who replies so, like, uh, we'll hey, call you so, don't call us so, so first off first off <laughs> our current editor adanian did just reply to twitter posts with videos and we did hire him full time so there's that aspect of it um and second off if you are a good video editor or a producer, then we might be interested in you. Um, and also, I know because our fans are more educated, there is actually a possibility that some of you guys are very qualified. Um, yeah, but you don't you know, know mate. Are. Some of them probably think they can be on like someone insight as the third box or something, oh, mate. Yes. Like you don't have delusional some people. Are, right. <laughs> uh, wife, parent, best friend, Richard the Third from Shakespeare, Light Yagami, or Leto the <laughs> Second. Wait a minute. <laughs> it was it was wife. What was the other two? Pa I'll, I'll copy paste it to you. Parent and what was the third one though. Best girlfriend, friend. best friend, best friend, best there friend. You go. and so it's right. We should just very briefly explain who they are. So obviously, Richard the Third is obviously based on the real person who was contending to be yes. the King of England, but from Shakespeare. And, yes, and famously, <laughs> in even in real life, it's implied he killed his own like nephews who were heirs to the throne. So he's obviously a very he murdered his way to the yes. throne. Basically. He's a Machiavellian figure, basically. He's an example of someone who just wants power for the sake of power. Like Yagami is obviously the protagonist of Death Note, who also right. dreamed of like a world where he would like sort of determine people's life and death and rule the world. And then Leto the second is the God Emperor, the character from the fourth book and third book of Dune, who rules yeah. like the whole universe for centuries. So they're all in theory sort of evil figures. So we're asking which one are we wife in pair or best friend okay, okay so actually hilariously enough the last time i acted i played richard the third that was my the last play i ever did um 
So I would say I would be Richard. Obvious the joke is what was that between you pretending Overwatch League was good and all those? Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom, boom. No, we all know you meant for real. Okay, cool. So who are you um, picking for Richard the Third? Which one should he be? Wife, because I'm least likely to be murdered if I'm his okay. wife. Because in theory, he's the king in that arrangement. That's true, right? Yeah. So it seems like the safest place to be with Richard the Third. Um. The parent of Light, the I think the parent of Light Yagami. It, here's the Pretty thing: if Light, too. If, if Light Yagami thinks that he's good, he probably doesn't have. If I'm his dad, he probably doesn't have a bad opinion of me. So, parents is a little. Is Light my parent? Is Light my dad, or am I Light's dad? Either way, it feels safe because he's not going to be focused on me with the Death Note. And then I guess leader of the second best friend sounds pretty chill. He probably wouldn't fuck with the me. The problem either. with that one is though, spoiler, technically any position with Leto the second, you might still get killed. Because if you don't sure. know the whole premise without again doing too many spoilers is, he's a figure who essentially will do whatever it takes ruthlessly to accomplish a certain grand goal. And that does include sacrificing people he loves. So you can't, the light, the Leto the second one's the hardest one actually. I don't think there's a right answer to that, but the other two are all right. <laughs> is it eerie how Roger's career is mirroring Favre's? I hope Rogers doesn't get caught into a taxpayer defraud scheme like Farm has recently it is interesting though here's the I sad thing hope... i know what he means about the careers the real irony is this even though the careers have a very similar arc they couldn't stylistically be more different as players though like one of them is probably the best ever ever to play football at not throwing ints the other one yep. insert the jewel <laughs> probably some of the most yeah. legendary ints of all time yeah <laughs> Exactly. It is yeah. wild though. Part here's the real. Let's be real. Part of it can't just be these guys. It has to be the fact that they're both at the Green Bay Packers, isn't it? If you look yeah. historically, the problem with the Green Bay Packers, as far as I can tell, is because they're in Green Bay in fucking like Wisconsin or whatever, like no one really wants to go there. And they're not a team that spends insane money. So what they tend to have, if you notice, is they have a stud quarterback, they have like individual players who are good. You might have one wide receiver's really good, one defensive player's really good, one like cornerback that's really but you don't ever have the team. You never have like the stud team do you, in this in this area. So I think the mistake they both made actually was both being too loyal. Yeah, uh, I I mean if they wanted to do better, I agree. And at least Favre was in a different era, and Favre did, you know, Favre had some Super Bowl success, and Aaron Rodgers has won one. But I think that especially as you get into a world where guaranteed contracts become the norm in the NFL, or, or they're at least they're a higher amount of the contract is guaranteed. The problem is you just need rich owners because that money has to be put in escrow immediately. So you have to have the cash, you have to have liquidity, right? So like the Green Bay Packers, it's fun that they're owned by the fans, but that doesn't mean that they have the highest liquidity. It's like, you know, Mark Davis with the Raiders is actually like pretty poor by NFL team owner standards. So he simply can't make the same kind of contractual commitments that wealthier team owners can do. And that's the thing about the Broncos is when they were bought by, you know, the Walmart heirs, they now during this free agency period, they put immense amounts of money into guaranteed contracts for to shore up the offensive line. The Broncos have had the biggest dollar amount of free agency so far this offseason and they can do that because they have a high amount of liquid capital so it's i think it's going to be harder even though there are salary caps within the nfl to compete with wealthier owners as time goes on i think the packers are you know going to have that problem the other thing about the packers is that they lucked into back-to-back -back hall of fame quarterbacks like jordan love like love cannot be the There's third no one in a row that they have like 
that would be. It could be biggest... serviceable, but there's no way he's going to be one of these I, guys. No, come on. I mean, it is already crazy that they got these guys back to back and they did it through the draft. So the odds of that happening again are obviously very low. Um, but the Packers have had done a good job of like developing talent over the years, and they've had to because they don't have the biggest payroll. That's why like, I um, hate basically like the, the St. Louis Cardinals, right? Of the football. thing I hate the most about the NFL is that all these players seem to judge it either on this year's roster or the amount of money they are paid. Dude, the reason I can't handle it, dude, is when I look at the NFL, like literally, this is why Aaron Rodgers this offseason is going to tilt me the, off the fucking face of the planet. Because if you look at the history of the NFL, Monty, I'll tell you the franchise, if they're ever available to take you, you go to at any point in your career and just stay there and they will build. It's the fucking San Francisco 49ers. Look, that, t- that organization is unbelievable. Look how many yep. times they've re-upped. Dude, they've done it with whack quarterbacks even a bunch of times. Alex Smith wasn't even that good. Like, mate, if no. he'd have just gone there, they would... You might not even be good this year. They'll, they will be good eventually. You know they will be. Yeah. So There are certain markets and teams in sports. Lakers is one in basketball, like he's talked about. There are certain ones. It's like, if you can just get there, it'll figure itself out around you because they spend and they bring the talent in. What I don't get, like I say, like, like this one where he's going to go to the Jets. It's like, bro, you're so fucking underwhelming as a as your own agent. This is garbage, mate. Why are you going there? I, I hate that so much, mate. Because right. it's the ultimate the- spot where you need the team. <laughs> People just want us to have an NFL show. So here's the next question. What is the biggest factor against Aaron Rodgers being the best QB of all time? The Packers' refusal to give him anything to work with, his coaches McCarthy and Capers being almost uncarryable, or his inability to mind control his defense into not running it down in playoffs? A lot of ones I mean, a pretty all, big all, one. I mean, his coaches like not giving him the ch- shot to win important playoff games was also just outrageous at times. <laughs> Here's the thing. I've got all- to be Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> just like in esports, I, I always come with unique angles that people don't have. So I'll give you one very quickly, right? If I asked most people really quickly, who are the two greatest quarterbacks of all time? The two names, because they were both the GOATs, is going to be Tom Brady and Joe Montana, right? Here's the problem with that, boys. Every single title they both won in the NFL, they won with a top 10 ranked defense. Every single one. Aaron Rodgers had that once, Monty. He won. That was, the, that was the time he won his <laughs> ring. So there's one for you. And then here's on that. That's defensive side of the ball. That not, not these, None of these three players play defense. Let's go on the offensive side of the ball. So you ready? I actually think, by the way, if we're taking aside the quarterback thing, I actually think the most valuable player in the history of the NFL is Jerry Rice. I don't think it's even... I think it's pretty... And he's got the numbers that are unbelievable. The joke is his numbers are bonkers now. And he played in the era before they made the rules easy for the wide receivers. Like, no yeah. one will ever break his records if you go and look at them. Joe Montana had that guy. As his main guy. <laughs> then, are you ready? If I was to go after Jerry Rice, who would be the most OP outfield players on the offense, I'd go Randy Moss and Gronkowski. Oh, you mean the two main players of Tom Brady? Now let's go to Aaron Rodgers. Now, before you tell me, what about Devontae? He's not even making that list. No, he was never even on that short list. What are you talking about? Like, that's the problem. All these players have the godlike teammate that helps you as well and the sick defense. Aaron Rodgers had neither. In his entire career, he's had one good defense. I told you he won that season. Then he's had one, I think, really elite wide receiver, which was Devontae Adams. And he had him for, let's be real, what, five, six years of his prime. Aside from that, Jordy Nelson, I'll tell you right now, 
if Jordy Nelson's a Hall of Fame, it's because of Aaron Rodgers. Not like he's some godlike player. He was just a good wide receiver. I've always said this. No one ever does that to Aaron Rodgers. Why do they never say this, Monty? Where in the mind you're the quarterback? The obvious way you diss a quarterback would be this, Monty. But look at all the guys you're thrown to. Why aren't you winning the game? No one's ever said that as an argument against Aaron Rodgers, ever. No one's ever <laughs> even tried that because they know that once you try listening, here's a little thought exercise if you hear Aaron Rodgers and if you can complete this and you think I'm wrong, then we've answered the questions. no reason to answer. Name the five best offensive players Aaron Rodgers played with and by the time you even get to number three, apologize to me and shut the fuck up. <laughs> you won't even get to four. You won't even get to four, bro. It's going to get yeah. real dark after two. After at two. Least, at, least, at least some of them are on the offensive line. Like he's had some good... Some good oh movement. yeah, Bakhtiari was pretty sick. By the way, he missed oh, him Bakhtiari for two seasons. Didn't have him for the last two seasons either. So he's also been mega unlucky, in my opinion. Um, and also, like his team was trolling him too when they like drafted Love instead of a wide receiver in his kind of or an offensive weapon in his win now window. You know what I mean? Like he was justifiable. Oh, if you ever go and look at that draft and look where they <laughs> took Jordan Love, there's a whole bunch of wide receivers you could have taken that were legit, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you could go back in time and give your younger self some general advice, what would it be? Nothing specific like lottery numbers or how to handle certain situations that you were in. I mean, I would probably give myself some general advice about how to deal with the renegade situation better because that has been, you know, probably one of the the bigger regrets of my life overall. Um, so I, if I couldn't give myself specific information, I probably would have given myself some general tips that would have helped me through that. I don't know. The problem with this is I've always thought this question works better if you're someone where like your life didn't work out because then you'd have all these things <laughs> to say. The point is I wouldn't actually change it. I, I want to get to this point. It's pretty cool. So just keep going. There you go. That's what I tell myself. Uh, is Zhao Hu the greatest Chinese League of Legends player? I think that there is a an argument for that to be He's true. He's in the combo. Yeah. Yeah. Not least because he did it. Like, dude, he won MSI from two different positions. Yes. <laughs> should, we just, should we just throw that out there? It's not really a small feat, is it? See, yeah. I, I think he's fucking cracked, mate. He is mega, yeah. Yeah, and it's also just the the versatility. I mean, he's, it's, not, it's not going super insane for him right now, but the longevity of his career has been exemplary, right? Yes. Uh, and also, just the other thing to point out, the reason also he's higher up on the list than you think is because most of the great players in the LPL were Korean. So spoiler, he's already very high on the list, isn't he? I mean, he's also on a top four team in the LPL right now. Still so. now, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> he's still, still probably going to have a decent playoff run. Uh, if you were to make FIFA-type cards about LOL Esports, who would be your inform special cards this week? Uh from the I current don't know SI what this previous. reference is. Like, I've never These seen what the cards These inform cards are made for players who play exceptionally well in the current week. Oh, that's a good idea. It could also be it's a like fun a power ranking sort of. the cards themselves. No, it's just like uh, highlights on the best players of the week, I guess. Oh, right. You just want to know who the best players last week is. right. It could be a fun content piece actually making the cards. That could be a fun thing to do to issue them on Twitter, make some graphics for them. Well, when we have more money, maybe that will happen. Um, uh, let's see here. Who played exceptionally well this past week? A lot of the games are kind of stompy. Uh, I mean, Chovy did a pretty good job this last week. Was this supposed to be for LCK, did he say? 
Uh, for anybody, like players. I mean, that, listen, you can put you, for almost any week. You can put Scout on there. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I mean, Jovi looked super good on the the Yone this past week. That was pretty exciting. I have to say, um, a lot of the matches would be on it again, week, right? Yeah, a lot of the matches this last week weren't actually super good. Um, but I do think more more. What's more interesting is the idea itself and what we could do with that. Yeah, it's not a bad concept. Lately, there is something fishy about uh, Lee Jae Myung, the 2022 South Korean presidential nominee. Okay, uh, is this so? I, I, I don't know about this one. Hold on. Uh, no, I, that, that's Just that's too it. weird. Sorry, uh, I don't know. It's uh, that's that's going to turn out really messy because I actually don't know what that situation is with the current Korean president. Who do you consider the goat for each region? Does this answer change if the player must originate from that region? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it definitely changes in NA if the player originates from NA or not, because like NA, it's double lift, right? Like, there's not another answer to that question. But the question is like, is Bjergsen actually the goat of NA, considering that he spent almost all of his career there? And with it his probably success, is probably is. Let's be real. Like it also changes in China probably because you would say rookie, but rookie's not Chinese, <laughs> so. <Yep. laughs> Um, if you consider Chinese players, that's where like Xiao Hu, yeah. I think, and Uzi enter the conversation. Uh, for Korea, it's obviously Faker, and for Europe, it's I think Caps has probably overtaken Perks at this point in time. But the battle continues on that front. Small sample size, but does current evidence suggest Core JJ should have more of the blame for the last two years TL thrown his way, given that Hans is flourishing in G2 and Hundred Thieves with two rookies and two geriatrics is outperforming the uh, all new Korean roster? Uh, I mean, Hans was just individually quite bad. Thing is, though, I, sort, I sort of get what he means, though, because I will say, if yeah. you look at the years after Doublelift, so when they went to Tactical, then Hans Sama, to me, I think part of the problem, essentially, like I, in hindsight, I think I look at that relationship when they were successful differently now. What I think they had when they had Doublelift and Core JJ together was they had the classic creative tension. So Doublelift wants to be lane dominant and to carry the game from ADC. But Core JJ wants you to just stay in lane and so he can roam and make some sick play on mid or in jungle or something. So I, to me, the tension between the two is probably what made that team amazing. I get the sense that second Doublelift leaves and it's tactical, then quiet hand summer. I think Core JJ just decides what happens at that point in time. And so actually, I think individually he played badly, but I also get the sense whatever decisions tactically he took didn't work i think actually maybe maybe that wasn't the right approach maybe you needed someone essentially in some teams you have to have someone who sort of says no yeah i also think that that team was just insanely dysfunctional um and hans was individually performing really badly and we know that hans like he wasn't really even good like on Draven, bro. America. Like one way, yeah, he I mean, looks clean as fucking Europe, doesn't he? Like his, his mechanics yeah. have always been. I, sick. The fact he couldn't even play that was telling, wasn't it? I think it, it was. Like, I think it was a motivation issue, and like the team energy was probably the vibes in the team were probably terrible, especially by the end. Um, and like Core JJ might be responsible for this iteration of the roster. He might have been the one driving them to sign all these Korean players and saying like, "Hey, I want to, you know, I want to play with these guys." I think I think Core JJ JJ needs to leave Team Liquid. I think it's time for him to go to FlyQuest. <laughs> That'd be amazing. We'll go back to Korea. Yeah, we'll go back to Korea. That'd be That's cool as well. Uh, are there any casters in the scene which you think are underrated? I mean, I already said one for a past one, so I'll reiterate. I think the woman called Kitty, who does the LPL, is pretty yeah, good, actually. Good. That seems to have very good yep. game knowledge. Uh, I think Nymira is super underrated. I think he's very entertaining, very like funny, creative, and very knowledgeable about the game. Have you had moments in life where you became the very thing you swore to destroy? 
I don't know about that. I mean, I, I kind of did go work directly with the developer when it came to Overwatch League. No, I'd say I've never done it. <laughs> Who is the most ELO held player in LOL history? And is it too early for it to be Yankos? <laughs> Mate, here's the reason it could be Yankos. I listen, I thought he was pretty good last split. Dude, this split, been, yeah, he is genuinely a contender for best jungler on maybe the worst team. Yes. It's yeah. actually unbelievable. And also, mate, if there's one role where you do get a pass, it is jungle. Like, it, it, he has no business looking this good with teammates this bad. It's so I, I don't, sick. I don't, I don't so understand sick. how, given what we've seen from Xerxes, XL could pass on Marcoon, which they had, and then also Yankos, who was available, considering they jumped on some of the other players that were The problem with the Yankos one is I heard at the time, like, G2 was fucking around making the buyout too big, and it's only at the end it turned out it was, like, cheap or whatever. So I think there was some fucking I mean, on that one. I give him a pass were, on that one. There were parts of Chovy's early career where <laughs> that was probably true as well. I mean, the Hanwell iPhone was pretty nuts. Yep. <laughs> I actually think, by the way, the first, the original Copenhagen Wolves with Forgiven is a pretty crazy one. Like, yeah, look, he did have, he did have Amazing, who was pretty decent the first split, to be fair. But he, even then, he was like a one-trick lease-in type player. But if you remember, that was where his top laner was Youngbuck and his mid laner was Kowtard. And even Forgiven himself flamed them because I think he said Youngbuck was like perma, like stuck in Masters 2. Masters 2 in solo queue while they were actively playing. And if you ever saw in the games, forgiven like I test wise, was just the best ADC. So like that's pretty ELO held. But I agree, Yankos is a strong contender this split. Strong contender. Question for Monty. Since you named yourself after the Count of Monte Cristo, what aspects of Dumas' novel make you like it so much? In what ways do you relate to the main character in the story? I've talked about this before, but I'll talk about it again. Uh, to open the discussion to both of you, how true do you think the following theme is, which I would say is the main theme, that justice and retribution comes eventually, even if it takes a long time, and good deeds are rewarded by God's will? Yeah, there's a strong undercurrent. I mean, the, you know, the last words are like wait and hope of the novel, right? That's like uh, one, of the, one of the core themes of it. And also... I mean, there's a lot going on. It's a huge book, but yeah, uh, the the idea that the the hand of providence will write all things. I think for me, I've, when I've talked about this before, the the crucial aspect of the Count of Monte Cristo is that it's not that I am it's aspiring to be like the Count of Monte Cristo. This is where if you've only seen the movies, you get it all fucking wrong. Because for whatever reason, all the movies and TV shows. They need to get the Count back together with Mercedes, which is the woman that he loved and lost um, and was the reason why he was imprisoned and have a happy ending. The thing about the Count of Monte Cristo is the, the ending of the book is he doesn't get back together, together with Mercedes. The whole process of revenge has basically stripped the entire his, his, his singular obsession with it has stripped his ability to enjoy life, even with unbelievable wealth that he finds in the treasure trove on the island of Monte Cristo, right? He gets out of prison and then he goes after the people that imprisoned him with these massive resources instead of just being like, you know, finding a new way to enjoy his condition. And the end of the book is him basically sailing off to the end of the sunset saying like, fuck this. This, this was a kind of a waste of time uh, to simplify things very dramatically. Um, but I think I think for me, it really is a cautionary tale because I've said this before, is that when I get angry is when I'm most productive. It's when it's when I get really frustrated or pissed off that something's happened that I get very creative. I get very driven um, because I think I can do it better or I want to build something that that stands in opposition to it. And I think that this tendency for me 
I, I am very vindictive a lot of the time. And so if anything, it's more of a warning about what I, sh the person I shouldn't be. Uh, and a reminder to enjoy the things that I have and pay attention to the things that really matter in my life. And to answer the question, do I think that justice and retribution come eventually? No. Bad people win all the time. It fucking sucks. Yeah, but here's the thing. I think I think justice does come, Monty, but not in the way people want. People want justice to be that evil people get exactly the same proportionate that they did evil to others done to them. I think this is how evil has always a consequence. It's like what you're talking about with the Count of Monte Cristo himself. In order to become the person who can get revenge, you must strip away your own humanity and everything yep. good about yourself to enact that revenge. So here's the thing. Evil is its own punishment. So even when it looks like they win, it's like a line I always used to say to people. The reason I actually never would be jealous of Reginald for having $10 million in the bank is because he's Reginald. That $10 million, that won't even help him ever get a meaningful life, in my opinion. He's an idiot who fucked up his own career and did a lot of shitty things. Like, I, I look, would I if I had the $10 million? Yes. But the point is, he's not doing that. He's not me. So essentially, I think actually goodness is its own reward. I think evil is its own punishment. Yes, I, I, I agree. And I think that the people who go to any length in order to uh, hurt other people or accomplish wealth or power, um, they are satisfying a very they're satisfying something that's very fucked up within themselves you never do satisfy is, either man i can exactly, tell you as someone you, can't, you, you can't when, you get, that when you get revenge especially if you were prompted because you're not a bad person when you get revenge like you wreck someone you actually just think like is that it like the fuck like yeah i, I damaged <laughs> them but like i don't even want to be that person with the fuck is that it is that the end right it's kind of it's yeah. kind of a bit it's hollow, isn't it? Yeah, and, and the joke that we always make about Reginald is the real punishment is being Reginald, which is true because it, it, it's it's the way that he presents himself and that he is constantly trying. You know, I've been at parties with this guy. He's constantly trying to like flout his wealth and who he is because he's deeply insecure as a person. Um, and it, it he could be the richest person on earth, and he would that wouldn't solve his fundamental what's going on in his mind. And so that's the real punishment is that if you don't resolve the actual issues within your own mind and your own psychology, then the torture is just being you because nothing is going to fix that besides doing the hard work of uh, individuation. And, the, the, you know, most people who have done that are less focused on material gains. Have I read Herman? Have you read Herman Hesse's Beneath the Wheel? I have not. Um, have you read it? Oh, I don't think I've read anything by Herman Hesse. Okay. So, no. Uh, Monty, you and Doa coined the Long Panda Award. It was technically the Long Panda Memorial Trophy for the worst top laner in OGN. Are, is there any other role specific awards? If not, which players in the history of LOL across all regions would be the Long Panda Award, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think Dom would have the ADCB, the X Maddie Award, and a prime candidate's for support could be a Johnny. <laughs> it's true. Um, which player is the history of LOL? I mean, the LEP Award would probably be pretty good, but we already have the Long Panda Memorial Trophy. Um, what would be the equivalent for other roles? I'll give you a good one. Like, an obvious one to me is there probably should be a score award, and that's the person who, like, was the best, but they just didn't have the, the accomplishments to justify it, you know? Yep. Yep. I think that would be a pretty good one. 
Yeah, I think he's the question is for bad players, but oh, I mean, right, I'll say bad okay. players. I mean, that's a good one, regardless uh, on the point, because like th we should celebrate the good roles as well. Or, you know, the score award could also be most successful uh, position change. <laughs> um, or it could just be best loser of all time. <laughs> it's true. The, In the, a way, the, the, the silver, know. the silver, the ultimate silver medalist. Yes. Uh, what do you think the impact of constant and massive changes to how the jungle works is on the development of strategic understanding and league? I mean, it's it's the single biggest factor, right? It puts immense volatility into the jungle role. It makes it so that players have to focus on being super adaptable over the course of their careers. I think it's hardest to remain a pro as a jungle player compared to other ro roles. Um, and also it changes the fabric of the way the game works. Like we went from farm city last year to gank city this year. It's, it's really tough, man. I mean, that's why we see these big differences in like the, the whiplash with a player like Malrong. It's, it's not my favorite part of league of legends. Like, I don't understand why it feels like they have to change the jungle every season. Why, why are we doing that? The, the reason by the way, that Yankos's career is mad based too. Yes. Look how long I mean, it, does, it makes good guy. stories for players like Score and, and Yankos yes. who are able to hang with it for so many years. But it also is pretty lame when you think about comparing junglers across eras, having longevity to the game. Oh, the thing I hate the most about it, Monty, is it takes people who already have to have like specialist knowledge of the current meta and all the tricks and trades, but also have to have an amazing intuitive feel. And what you do is you say to them essentially like, let's put all the things that you have to do in a bag. Oh, today I'm pulling this out, not the other ones. Like, what the, f you've changed the game. Like imagine it, and I'll give you like a comp an equivalent comparable position. Imagine being like a free safety in the NFL, but then every two years they just fundamentally change the rules on how defense is played. Like, Bro, you're never going to get, like, some, some fucking sick Ed Reed type character, are you? Like, that comes when you can just master that role for 10 years, you know? Because I've always thought, it actually, I'm sure you're on the same page. That's the saddest thing. Of all the roles you have to change, jungle. Because, like, dude, if you had never changed jungle, if jungle was the most static role, we would have some amazing genius brain junglers in the modern day. People who just, like, experience just carried them through years. Like, you get that every now and then, but not as much as you would have. Like, imagine what someone would be like now, Monty, 10 years into the game, who was, like, the jungle king. Oh, they'd be like a... They would be a chess master. They'd be unbelievable. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think I think it's been a big problem in League of Legends, for sure. It's the, it's the single biggest meta issue that has plagued the the game as a whole uh would g2 be better with irrelevant rather than broken blade that's an interesting that's a, question i'll give question. him that it's an interesting one i think the answer is probably yes um irrelevant has been doing that i mean he's a weak side jungler you know what i mean a top player and like or sorry, top laner. We were just talking about jungle. So uh, that's where the confusion came from. Yeah. And like when I think about, I mean, he was on Sejuani duty in the top lane for a lot of last year, but I think he's developed a lot as I mean, a player. Jax is pretty cracked as well. Yeah. See it yeah, this yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, this split. I mean, he's he's been playing more of those carries. And I think the thing with Broken Blade is that Broken Blade's, he's just going to get clapped internationally. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think I'd rather just have a more conservative player in the top side than broken blade on g2 at this point in time i think broken blade does he helps out with the g2 wackiness though which putting a it has high value it can't be discounted exactly G2's, yes g2's wackiness yes. is one of the things that makes them a world-class team so the question becomes how much less wacky do they get if he's not playing karma and Kled in the top lane <laughs> and you know i don't know the answer to that question like if g2 becomes too predictable then they just become a worse version of asian teams whereas 
this iteration, I think, at least has a shot at taking some important games. The problem I have with this topic is this. I actually thought last year's G2 was a great use of Broken Blade. When you were going to have Flack in the bottle lane and he wasn't going to be a superstar mm -hmm. ADC, that's a great setup of a team. That works, except internationally, yeah. obviously, he had his issues. The problem is, in the modern day, when you have Hans Armour and Mickey X in that bottle, like now... A broken blade strengths don't really shine that much That's outside true. of LEC. He's not even that great in LEC. Sometimes he's, he's a bit no, hit and miss. And then internationally, <laughs> he just doesn't. He just hasn't done it. He just hasn't done it yet. You got to you got to show me more. Also, I think to your point, broken blade is getting less, you know, fewer resources and less support than he did last year, which is also potentially contributing to his performance. So with this iteration of the roster, he just may not be the ideal player. Uh, given that both of you have been to multiple esports tournaments all over the world, which stadium slash arena did you feel gave the best experience? Uh, the two that really stick out in my mind were actually both in the same year in 2015 in, in League of Legends when the championship was in Europe. I think the London crowd at the G2 Arena was really spectacular. And also the French crowd in Paris was really, really good. Uh, so I, I think I, I've had very good experiences in, in France and UK with crowds personally. Here's the thing. If people know from CSGO, I'm not really the guy who gets like super hyped. Like you'll never see me do one of those Instagram stories. Like just so blessed to be here right now. And then show all the crowd. I'm not that guy. I'm not the fucking star fucker like that. Like I, I hate that shit. So I would just say like, it's just ones where it was just like a good crowd set up in the stadium. Look like Lanxess in Cologne is always classic for yes, yeah. I want Cologne. I am Cologne but now. I, I, think it's uh, like I mean, Staples said it was pretty good when we had that Worlds back in the day. It was pretty banging stadium at least. Yeah. I guess for me, the stadium slash arena is secondary to the crowd itself because you know me, I actually think, by the way, the OGN crowds from when it was OGN champions were the best crowds because oh, those were fun, crowds yeah. were mega hyped for the final. Yeah. It would basically just be a warehouse with ten thousand kids going mental. It was sick, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Sick. I think for me, it's like I want to see uh, fans be fans of the game and cheer for good plays, no matter what it is. And I think that certain crowds tend to be very biased towards home teams yep. and. Uh, I didn't find that true of UK or France. I found just the the general enthusiasm very inf infectious. Probably because UK has been bad at esports forever, so they can't be cheering for <laughs> British and people. And also, there's a, there's a factor that is a very real factor people don't understand, which is that ingrained in the premise of British sport, because it originally came from the aristocracy, is the notion of fair play and sportsmanship. Like, that's not a joke. That's a real thing in British culture of the, that you've seen in movie, that trope of, like, you, get, you, you, t you give the person, a, like, a head start before you kill them. You let them have a chance to get... That's like a real concept. So if people don't know, like famously in British football, soccer, if you get... This is a famous concept Americans might not know. If someone on your team gets injured, right, to get him off the field, you have to kick the ball out of play. What is a famous tradition in, in British football is when we restart play and I'm on the opposing team, even though I have the throw in, Monty, we just give the ball back to you because you only kicked it out because your player was injured. And obviously we all understand health is more important than the sport. Americans wouldn't even understand that. Remember, Bill Belichick would be like, is there a way to get him to kick the ball? Though? Like this can't would dry every other angle. Like Americans are like, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. When I heard that, I was like, what are you talking about? You're admitting <laughs> to trying to cheat. Like you're admitting it. So I, in actually British sport culture in that sense, it's actually a famous thing that you're supposed to applaud even if the person's not for your team like famously if someone like Ronaldo or Messi back in the day came and beat some Premier League team people would give him a standing ovation at the end of the game that's that's just yeah. part of British sports so I also think actually yeah. it's a shame that Britain's so bad in esports but I think as a crowd I'm with you the crowd angle they're almost set up to cheer them whoever wins basically yeah it was, it was great I've just I've really enjoyed the UK crowds 
If you had the power to curse any esports personality with a minor inconvenience, who would you curse and what would that curse entail? See, I actually get to live this life. So I have this guy named Thorin who will minorly inconvenience you by making uh, clever stabs at you on Twitter if you are a hypocrite. So I get to watch all of that unfold, which is deeply entertaining. That is the, the <laughs> it's a minorly inconvenient curse to people. <laughs> I don't actually even know who I'd I mean, the obvious, all right, here's what I would do. All I want is this, is Carmack can never again in person go and see Liverpool Football Club play. Because one, <laughs> I don't like Carmack. Two, you are from Poland, motherfucker, not Liverpool, England. And then three, I supported Liverpool as a boy. Fuck you. So even though he can have everything else, he's just not allowed to ever go and see him in person again. That's all. He can still watch him on TV. I'm not stopping him watching the game. You can't ever be there at Anfield. Fuck that. Funny. Nah, we're not doing that. We're not doing that, mate. I mean, a, 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 another funny one would for me would just be to make sure that Kat Sadikus could never drive a race car again. I mean, the joke is he'll take care of that himself eventually. So <laughs> you give him enough time, I imagine he'll, he'll figure out a yeah, way to take care of that one. He's already cursed with the curse of being sadicus. So, you know. <laughs> what was your worst food experience in a restaurant? Oh. All right, I'll tell you one. But here's the thing, Monty. Be very careful with the details, obviously, here, mate. <laughs> it's actually with you. You once took yep. me for an expensive meal. Because what <laughs> yeah, once he did was, here's the thing, I don't play with this. I'm not pretentious at all. I'm not that guy who likes high, like hot cuisine. I, I'm not, I don't know anything about food and all the expanded palate and stuff. I am the guy who just eats basic stuff and I like a shepherd's pie or whatever. So Monty took me to like a really expensive restaurant in Amsterdam that had like, like a 10 course stars. meal. Exactly. <laughs> and it was the ones where every portion's tiny and they have to, you're not even allowed to just eat it. They have to describe to you everything about the food. And all I'll tell you this, even the descriptions, my heart would just sink every time. Like, oh, none of that even sounds edible. Because they'd be like, it'd come and I'd be like, oh, this could be okay. Maybe that's meat. And then they'd go, sir, this is a, a celery foam inside of a camon. But, oh, none of that's food. All right. no, Where's the food? Say, Get a kebab that, in it was, here. It, it, was, it was also <laughs> like winter or early spring. It was early spring. Something um, like that, yeah. And uh, the, the, the other issue was that it, it was like a farm-to-table restaurant, so it was seasonal. And so there was like a weirdly large amount of asparagus. There's a lot of vegetables involved with this. A lot. There's barely any no, meat But, but, but it, was, it was like, it was it, just asparagus. It was like a million different kinds of asparagus. And I like asparagus, but I know you don't. So, But even I was fucking tired of asparagus. Oh, right, fair enough. Because all you need to know is I this, Monty. Look, I was really polite at the time, and I grinned in bed and did my best. Yeah, I know. But all you need to know is the second I got home, I was like, get the fucking takeaway order in now. Like, I couldn't handle that. It was still my head. Oh, no, 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 no. I, don't, I don't blame you. Uh, it, <laughs> it was it was uh it was not my favorite meal of all time either but i i will switch this up to say that it, you know it was it was still like good food but i know you have more particular i i eat anything so it's it's a little bit different i will say that just in terms of a quality level um so i i i don't know if i've talked about this on this show before i've talked about my stream a little bit so in denver there is a restaurant called casa bonita which has been in an episode of south park famously and what's happened is now the south part during the pandemic it went out of business and the south part the owners like uh, trey parker and matt stone actually bought the restaurant the creators of south park and have been renovating it so what it is is it is a it's from the 1970s and you guys can can google this casa bonita is it is a like a kind of very strange theme restaurant that is huge 
and it it has like a a grotto inside with a waterfall that they do these like really stupid performances like cowboy shootouts and like they dive off the waterfall and do fire juggling on it and like men with gorilla suits anyway it's very strange and in the inside it's like a mexican like a fake mexican village with all these tears and it's vast. I mean, I don't even know how many people you could fit inside there. Like at least a thousand. It's it's really really huge. So famously, you and then they they have all these like arcades and like you can dress up and take like in cowboy old time cowboy clothes. And they take your picture and it's like a, it's like a whole like little theme park inside basically. So the thing is, is that the food was always fucking terrible, um, like almost inedibly bad lacking any kind of flavor which is a big reason why they went out of business during the pandemic because there's no way anybody would order takeaway from this place it was just god awful um but you had to eat food there in order to go in and enjoy all the weird and fun nice. stuff about this place so i i went that when we were in denver for in 2017 to do some overwatch league stuff i took people there because it would be fun and people did have a good time but I thought I remember the food was bad, but I hadn't been there in like 10 years, maybe more. And I was not prepared for how fucking terrible it was. Um, and now the, the plus side is that now under the South Park ownership, they've renovated the whole thing. It's reopening in May and they have hired a chef um, who is uh, like a, a Mexican chef who is actually very well regarded in Denver. And hilariously, when she immigrated from Mexico, she was turned down from a cooking job at Casa Bonita right after she arrived when she was looking for work. And now she's the head chef of it, redoing the menu. And they've promised that the food will actually be good now. So hopefully I don't have to have that terrible experience again when I go back. Um, but I am excited to, to go back to that place because it's just so very strange. <laughs> and it's like a one of a kind thing in the world. So, um, but that that is it is easily some of the worst food I've ever had at a restaurant. I'll take you to Casa Benita sometime. <laughs> I also am not a big fan of Mexican food you anyway, Mexican so food. it's going to be guaranteed to be bad for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Casa Benita. If you guys are in Denver, go. That was our last question for this week. So thank you guys for that. Um, by the way, we are going to host out this stream into our CSGO watch party. And as an announcement, if you're a CSGO fan, for all of the EPL playoffs, we'll be doing uh, watch parties, uh, both on our YouTube for CSGO and on a new channel, Last Free Nation CSGO. So go ahead and give that a follow. Uh, as well. Uh, we've got a lot of talent in Thorin. You're going to be doing some of those watch parties like uh, Semler. I mean, how many people do we have on there? Like Dust, Play, oh, Paladin, Maui Snake, Alan Hender, you, uh, tons of people. Tons of people. So, yep. All right. That's all for this week, guys. We'll see you for some playoff discussion next week. <laughs>